when the Gillette Safety Razor Company brings you the play-by-play description of the opening game of the 1945 World Series. But to tell you about it, let's listen to the men in the know. First, here's one of Mutual's play-by-play announcers and top-ranking sports commentators, Bill Slater. Thank you, Joe. Good evening, everyone. Here in the suite of Commissioner Chandler at the Statler Hotel in Detroit, we have a very interesting crowd gathered. Just uh, around me here are Al Helfer and Bill Coram, and the three of us are going to work on the series tomorrow. In other spots around the room are Mr. Will Harry, the president of the American League, Mr. Ford Frick, the president of the National League, smiling Steve O'Neill, the manager of the Detroit Tigers, Jolly Charlie Grimm, the manager of the Chicago Cubs, Mr. J.P. Spang, Jr., the boss man of the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Mr. Edgar Kobach, the boss man of the Mutual Broadcasting System, and the commissioner himself, Commissioner Happy Chandler. You're going to have a chance to meet them all, and our first pleasure is to meet the president of the American League, Mr. Will Harridge. Mr. Harridge, we're glad you're here. Thank you, Bill. I'm glad to be here with you again. Your American League hasn't won uh, the World Series since 1942, I believe, Mr. Harridge. How do you feel about it tonight? Before Bill, the... this is our year. You think this is your year? I think it is. How do you feel about this first peacetime World Series since 1941, Mr. Harridge? Well, this is a great series to me, and because after four years of war, it's again a peacetime series. Loyal support by millions of fans, both at home and abroad, made this series possible. To those fans and to the scores of older players who carried on in the absence of players in the armed forces, baseball will always be grateful. I believe this series signifies the opening of a great new era for the game, with many a new star coming up to join those returning from the wars. With two great organizations like the Cubs and the Tigers meeting again after 10 years, this battle should take its place with a great classic of the past. I think we all agree with you, Mr. Harridge, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure to bring to our mutual mic now the manager of the Chicago Cubs, one of the finest guys in organized baseball today, uh, Jolly Charlie Grimm. Hello, Charlie. Thank you, Bill, and good evening, fans. Uh, Charlie, I believe that you were in a World Series just exactly 10 years ago with the Tigers. That's absolutely right, Bill, and I believe we're going to uh, leave this one to our own selves and leave a victorious team. You think it's going to be different this yes, time, sir, eh, Charlie? Charlie, one of the things that we enjoy most during the regular season is seeing you coaching down there at third. Of course, those famous pantomime antics of yours is something that I believe newspapers have even advertised to get people out the park. Are we going to have that in the series, Charlie? I know we will, Bill, because we went through a 154-game schedule, a competitive schedule, and we had a lot of fun doing it, and I don't see why we should stop playing a World Series. And in the series, is in the regular schedule. You're coming in on a laugh and a prayer. That, that is, is correct, Charlie. Bill. Charlie, you got your banjo with you? No, that's home. Well, that's too bad. Maybe we can dig you one up. <laughs> well, Bill, I'll tell you, the course of the season, why, if your fingernails, why, need to be a little long. So I chewed them right, right off during this 54, 154-game schedule. Well, speaking of you chewing your fingernails, I thought of you last Saturday night when you won the pennant down in Pittsburgh, and I believe that was also your 23rd wedding anniversary, wasn't it, Charlie? That's correct, Bill. Well, now, how did your wife know whether you were celebrating the winning of the pennant or celebrating the wedding anniversary? Well, after being married to the same girl for 23 years, I believe that uh, she knew herself what we were celebrating on that night, the victorious night when we defeated Pittsburgh. Well, I'm glad it all came out all right that evening, Charlie, and the best of luck to you in the series. Thank you, Bill, very much. Now it's my pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to present the uh, colleague who will share the play-by-play description of the World Series with me. He is tall, handsome Al Helfer, who served with distinction as a lieutenant commander in the United States Navy in this war. And now here is Al coming in. Al? Thank you very much, Bill. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, now it's my pleasure to introduce to you a man that uh, has piloted his Detroit Tigers to the 1945 American League flag. And uh, I feel kind of happy tonight in introducing this gentleman because he was born in uh, my home state. 
He's born in a place called, uh, what was that, Steve? Manuka, Pennsylvania. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve O'Neill. <laughs> Thank you, Al. I'm very happy to be here, Al. Well, Steve, uh, you're, you're a veteran as far as World Series is concerned. You played back in the 1920 World Series with Cleveland, didn't you? That's right, Al. Thirteen years you, uh, you caught for Cleveland. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you uh, stack up this World Series, Steve? Well, Al, I think that our ball club right now is in as good a condition, possibly, as any time during the season. Greenberg's ankle has improved a great deal, and so has Mayo's side and his arm. And I think also that Newhauser has gotten rid of the little ailment that he did have. And I think that we're in A number one shape. And uh, there's no reason why we can't go on to win. But in the event we don't, we know that a better club is beaten. You, you think that Charlie Grimm is going to be in second place? I really do, honestly. <laughs> well, Steve, thank you very much for coming up tonight. And uh, we're wishing you every bit of luck in the world for you to try Tigers. Thank you, Al. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Speaking of colleagues, I'm very happy and very pleased I'll have the opportunity of being on the air with a man I consider, along with thousands of other sport fans, as being one of the grand personalities of the game. He's the New York Journal, New York American uh, sports writer, also writing a syndicated column of sports that thousands have read throughout the country. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very proud to introduce to you tonight, Bill Corum. Thank you, Al Helfer, and you and I, Bill Slater, will have plenty to say a late, long later in the week as this series rolls along. But I know we haven't got much time tonight, and it's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Joseph P. Spang, Jr., president of the Gillette Safety Razor Company, which, as all you sports fans know, annually broadcasts these World Series games, the Kentucky Derby, the Bowl football games, and the top bouts on Gillette's famous cavalcade of sports. I know, Joe, that you're happy, as all of us at Gillette are, that this year so many of our American boys are going to be listening to the series back here at home where it is the great national game. Well, Bill, that's what we've been hoping and praying for for so long. And isn't it great that so many of the boys will be uh, hearing this uh, uh, series over the air uh, in their own home surroundings? And for the fellas that are still in there, the, the boys in the zones of occupation and the boys uh, are on the ships, uh, this year as usual, we're going to give them uh, every play, all the color, everything we've got, except one thing, Bill. We can't give them those commercials. Now, that's tough, but do you think they'll get through that all right? I think they'll live through it, Joe. But we'll be laying for them when they get back. And we know that whatever they've missed while they were away winning two great wars, at least those who could get to a radio heard the series year after year and every play as it took place. Well, I think baseball deserves a great tribute for the courageous position they've taken during these war years in continuing this game. Uh, I think great credit is due uh, not only to those fellows that were uh, in the war, in the Army, in the Navy, in the Air Force, the fellows that couldn't get in here at home, uh, the, the club owners, uh, the presidents of the league, uh, Will Harridge and Ford Frick, and also I think the late Judge Landis and his great and able uh, successor, uh, Commissioner Chandler. I think we should take our hats off to baseball. That goes for all of us, Joe. Now, I know you used to play football, and they tell me you're a pretty hot baseball fan up there in Boston, too. Who are you rooting for in the series? Well, Bill, uh, coming from Boston, uh, we haven't been in on this World Series very much. The Braves and the Red Sox uh, uh, haven't been quite up there. We'll but, give you a rain check. Well, we're looking ahead, but uh, uh, seeing that they're not in, all I can say is that I hope we have good weather, we have seven good games, and we have them aired in good shape over the air, and I know we're going to have all three. The players will agree with you in those seven games, Joe. Thank you very much. Now you're still clear. Thank you, Bill. It seems that all the big wigs in the radio and razor blade business and the baseball business are here tonight 
And it's my pleasure to bring to the microphone now the president of the Mutual Broadcasting System, Mr. Edgar Kobach. Welcome to the broadcast, Mr. Kobach, on your network. Thank you for welcoming me to my network. Uh, very nice of us all. Mr. Kobach, isn't this the largest uh, sports broadcast hookup in the history of the business so far? My legal advisor tells me that it's over 500 stations, the largest hookup that's ever been put together. I think there are 128 stations overseas. Every man and woman in the services overseas is going to be able to hear this series. I think the latest tally indicated there will be more than 500 stations on the right. broadcast. That is a lot of stations. How does it feel, sir, to be the president of the network supervising the biggest sports pickup in all history? That's the silliest question you've ever asked anybody on this station, on this network. Thank you, Mr. Kobach, president of the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs> now it's my pleasure to welcome again to the broadcast the president of the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Mr. J.P. Spang, Jr. Mr. Spang? Well, I have the very great pleasure of bringing to the microphone now the new High Commissioner of Baseball, that uh, great gentleman from Kentucky, the senator from that state, and our new High Commissioner of Baseball, a fine gentleman interested in all clean sports, interested in boys particularly, of which he has two fine ones. Commissioner Chandler. Thank you very much, Joe. I'm delighted to join with uh, you other citizens of the country, and I'd like to remind the baseball fans that I'm the only fellow here that has no side. I've lost my rooting privileges, and I've got to sit between the president of the National League and the president of the American League and be entirely neutral. Now, for a fellow that used to root for his team, that's a tough proposition. Well, you may not have any side, uh, Senator, but I notice you have a group of very, very beautiful women around. Uh, could we have a little explanation of that, sir? Well, that's Mama Chandler. She's the Secretary of War at our house, and those are our two lovely daughters. <laughs> and don't I see an Army officer in the offing somewhere, uh, that's, Senator? That's Colonel Gregg, who's been bombing the Japs with the B-29s. And they have a very nice baby girl at home, and she's my pride and joy. She's my only grandchild. You're about the youngest grandfather that any kid had, I'll bet. I'm about as young as they get, I guess, right. Bill. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Bill, I was very much surprised when uh, Senator Chandler uh, told us his exact age. As a matter of fact, uh, Bill said he believed that uh, he was a little older than you were, uh, Senator. But uh, I, I think, Bill, it's probably because of that good Kentucky corn pone of which I've had some of late. Corn what? Corn pone. Oh. It's called a P-O-N-E. Senator, just one question I should like to ask. In all of baseball... And uh, I know it is a tremendous job. Uh, I wondered if you, in your own mind, had picked out someone that you thought was the outstanding personality of all time in baseball. Well, of course, I'd have to say Ty Cobb, just uh, on the spur, because he was my hero when I was a boy. I tried to run like him and throw like him and take the bases the way he did, and uh, every boy has a hero that's a baseball player. And uh, uh, my interest in baseball is genuine. All of my life, I believe that if you gave a boy a baseball bat and a glove and a place to play, that his chances for making a good citizen were greatly increased. Now, I want to tell you how glad I am that you all are going to carry this uh, broadcast all over the world and on all these 500 stations because uh, baseball has fought a, a hard fight to keep going during the war. Uh, the American people have fought a tough battle to win this fight against our enemies. And I think we're all on the winning side this time because win or lose, and may the better team win, uh, the American people, all of us, are the winners this time. And I look forward to a great series and a, and a great sports boom in all sports when the war's over. And baseball, of course, ought to lead the way because it is the great American game. Well, Senator, I know I speak for Al and for everyone concerned up here in Detroit tonight in thanking you for the smooth way that arrangements have been made for carrying off this 1945 series. And thanks a lot for being on our Thank broadcast. Thank you very Senator. much, Bill. Thanks, Thank you, Senator. Al. Good night. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Joe Gentile. Joe? 
You have just heard the inside story of what is expected to happen tomorrow at Briggs Stadium here in Detroit when Mutual brings you a play-by-play description of the 1945 World Series under the sponsorship of the Gillette Safety Razor Company. Tonight, you heard from Senator Happy Chandler, Commissioner of Baseball, Mr. J.P. Spang, Jr., Mr. Edgar Kobach, Mr. Ford Frick, Mr. Will Herridge, Charlie Grimm, Steve O'Neill, and those three men that will give you the play-by-play description and the highlights of the game, Bill Slater, Bill Corum, and Hal Helfer. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. The preceding program was transcribed. That's the WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. The preceding program was transcribed earlier from lines of the Mutual Network for presentation at this time. This is WGN in Chicago serving the Middle West. Farmer's Market Reporter, presented by the Chicago Tribune, Let's Get Acquainted for Golden Mix, Cedric Foster for Montgomery Ward, the 3 o'clock Walgreen News, Meet Tommy Bartlett for Wholesome, and Words and Rhythm will not be heard today due to the World Series broadcast to be heard at this time. It's now 10 seconds before 1.15. We acknowledge the courtesy of these sponsors who have canceled their programs today for the World Series broadcast that follows immediately. Carter Products, Incorporated, sponsors of John J. Anthony, and the makers of four-way coal tablets, sponsors of Cliff Edwards. We take you now to Briggs Stadium in Detroit. Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports is on the air. For the seventh consecutive year, Gillette presents the World Series. From Briggs Stadium in Detroit, we bring you the exclusive play-by-play report of the opening World Series game between the American League's pennant-winning Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs champions of the National League. Men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. And now, good afternoon, everyone, to baseball fans everywhere. This is Bill Slater with Al Helfer and Bill Corum greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company. For tops in sports, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports the year-round. Over various networks, Gillette airs the Kentucky Derby, football bowl games, and similar events of national interest as they occur throughout the sports calendar. Also, regularly, every Friday night, Gillette broadcasts the major boxing event of the week for fans coast-to-coast and overseas. And now, ladies and gentlemen, with the first game of this 45 World Series just about to get underway, there is the usual thrilling scene. And here it is at Magnificent Briggs Stadium in Detroit. It is a splendid baseball stadium. It is upper decked all the way around, and the high bank ramparts of this stadium are just jam-packed with people as far as you can see. They are people this afternoon dressed in sweaters and heavy coats and some with blankets because this is football weather rather than baseball weather that we're having here. The crowd, of course, began to form outside the ticket window for the unreserved bleacher seats at 12 o'clock last night. And through the dark hours of the morning, with temperature hovering very close to freezing, they stood there to get those coveted bleacher seats, and they're all packed in there. And standing in the line was a girl and her return paratrooper. And that's a part of the picture here at Brick Stadium. The largest crowd that ever jam-packed its way into this stadium was back in 1940 when the Tigers played the Reds in the World Series. 55,189 attended then. That's going to be mighty close to that today. There is the band out in center field in its blue uniform. There is Harry Toby, 
that unique character from Oxford, Ohio, who comes out, he tells me, for the seventh consecutive World Series to dance in front of the band, attired in a very white suit and carrying a little parasol. There are all the trappings, all the celebrities, all of the tenseness, all of the thrills and enthusiasm that always go with this great American sport classic. Just a word about the nature of today's broadcast, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We believe it to be the greatest sports hookup in the history of radio broadcasting of sports events. A tremendous number of stations in the United States and Canada, and then the overseas broadcast, in which we have a particular interest. Just as you at home are listening to this game, play by play, our soldiers and sailors and Marines overseas are sitting at radio sets listening to it by way of the far-flung network of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This program is being shortwaved at this moment from San Francisco and New York by 13 powerful networks. It's being picked up and rebroadcast by many stations of the Far Eastern Network in the Philippines, Okinawa, Japan, and China. The Pacific Ocean Network on Iwo, the Marianas, Gilbert, and Marshall Islands. The Mosquito Network in the South Pacific and to armed forces in the Aleutians, Alaska, and the Caribbean area. Through the armed forces radio stations in the Mediterranean and Italy, and the Persian Gulf Command, and through the American forces network to troops in the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Austria, and to our outposts in Greenland and Iceland. There is also a special shortwave relay from Honolulu to Saipan, and thence to Japan by medium wave. Men with shortwave receivers can listen directly to the best of several transmissions, and since this game is airing at such distant places as Tokyo, Guam, Luzon, and Iwo, during the small hours of the morning, there will be rebroadcasts of the play-by-play -play description at convenient listening hours throughout the day. But we've been told that in Manila there are men so eager to hear this World Series when it is played, instead of a few hours later, that they have awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning to listen to this program. And that gives any guy a thrill, believe you me. To all the members of our armed forces overseas, we say we hope to see you back home very, very soon. And now we have seated to the left of us here a sports personality who needs no introduction to any of you. You have heard him many times on the Gillette Cavalcade of Sports broadcasts. He is the famous columnist and the grand and swell guy, Bill Coram. Uncle Bill? Thank you, Colonel Slater. Colonel Bill Slater, I think we ought to rename Halford and make him Bill, too, so that we'd <laughs> have three Bills up here. We'd have everybody probably well confused. Well, this is really something, Bill. I don't know when I've been as thrilled at a sports event as I am here today. Beautiful picture in Battleship Gray Brick Stadium here in Detroit. Stands filling up very fast. I'm sure there'll be 55,000 people here when the game is started, and that will be one of the biggest crowds, of course, in the history of this park, and this series, I'm sure, will return the players the biggest check for their end that any series has ever done. Previous to that, it was back in 1935, I believe, that the Tigers beat the Cubs to get the biggest World Series player's share. But it'll be bigger this year, and should be because baseball has come back into its own with the wars over it had a tough time during the war gave away a million two hundred thousand dollars of world series money alone two million six hundred thousand odd of baseball money and it deserves a little that it's going to get here uh, from this great series from a baseball standpoint there's very little to choose between these two clubs and it might very well be such a series as the last one the Tigers were in when they came right down to the wire with the Cincinnati Reds in 1940 in a seven-game series. The pitchers are both parking good pitchers. Hank Leroy of Fordham, well-known in the East, great Yankee pitcher before he went to the Cubs, and, of course, the hometown boy, the Willoughby, Hal Neuhauser, one of the great left-handers that the game has produced and naturally a prime favorite here in Detroit. 
I saw old Bill Clem, chief of the umpires of the National League downstairs, and I mentioned to him it was a little chilly, and Bill said, yes, Bill, it's always cold when Detroit's in the World Series. He said, I remember back 1909 when they're playing the Pirates in that series. He said, Doc Cook, the fellow was supposed to have discovered the North Pole, was here, and he left in the third inning. Well, it isn't that cold today, folks, but it is nippy football weather. But the sun is shining, and I've seen lots worse baseball days, and there have been many a day in this season that the baseball people would have settled for weather such as this. Brisk wind, the outfielders are going to have to watch that, and when the sun's not behind the clouds, they're going to have a high sky here. But we'll see great baseball this afternoon, and speak of umpires, Bill Summers, American League umpire will be the umpire-in-chief behind the plate, but I saw another old umpire, fellow operating the press box elevator here. And that was Bill Lord Byron, a great old umpire, the singing umpire in his day. The fellow used to say, when players protested about call strikes, used to say, young man, you'll have to be a little bolder. You can't hit the ball with a bat upon your shoulder. That was Lord Byron, who now is running the elevator here at Briggs Stadium and told me that he was 70 years old. And in the elevator with him was the only man, I'm sure, that's seen every World Series played, 43, including this one. Joe Page, famous Canadian railroad man, here not only to see this, but seen every modern World Series and some before that. And Bill Slater said to you that you went back to Huey Jennings for Detroit victories. That's true in this league in modern World Series times. But Detroit won a championship before that under a man named Watkins when they were known as the Wolverines and in the National League. Now, uh, from a pitching standpoint... I don't see that there's anything favoring either one of these fellows in the day. Baroy uh, is a good curveball pitcher, got a lot of speed, and of course we all know that Newhauser is the same. The Cubs will hit speedball pitching. That's the reason I don't believe that Virgil Fire Trucks, who came back to the Tigers from the service just before the American League season ended, will be such a great help as a lot of people think, because I know the kind of pitching that bothers the Cubs is clutterball pitching, such as Jim Tobin of the Braves used to throw at him. In fact, I remember that Tobin beat him seven out of nine last year or something like that. Well, fans, that's Coram's story for the moment, but I'll be back after the game to tell you how things look to me from the press box. Fans, there's little doubt that Americans want a hard peace for those guilty of starting the war. But none of us wants a hard peace for the millions of destitute men, women, and children in allied countries freed from Axis enslavement. And yet, without our help, Cruel and bitter times lie ahead for the folks who are still fighting famine, pestilence, and cold. One of the chief hopes for their salvation lies in the National War Fund, a federation of 19 major relief and welfare agencies. These agencies are over there, distributing blankets to people who have shivered for years, cod liver oil for undernourished children, seeds to replant farms, medicine to fight plagues, and they're doing many other life-saving tasks, too. So when you're asked to donate to the Community War Fund, dig down deep. Let's be generous in victory. And now here are the starting lineups, as they have been announced by the rival managers as this 1945 World Series is about to get underway. For Chicago, the visiting team, the leadoff hitter will be Stanley Hack, their great third baseman. This is his fourth World Series. He's a California lad. At second base and batting number two for the Chicago Cubs will be Don Johnson, a 34-year-old second baseman who was born in Cincinnati and he lives out in Los Angeles now. Batting number three for Chicago, Harry Lee Lowry, L-O-W-R-E-Y, 27-year-old discharged GI, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Batting number four for Chicago and the great hometown favorite uh, along the midway is Phil Cabaretta, 28-year-old star first baseman, the number one hitter in the National League this year, playing in his third World Series. He's born, raised, and lives in Chicago. 
Batting number five for the Cubs is center fielder Andy Pafko, a 24-year-older who comes from up in Boyceville, Wisconsin. Batting number six for them is Bad Bill Nicholson, the Maryland gentleman who is playing his eighth year with Chicago at the age of 30. He's born and he lives in Chestertown, Maryland, his own hometown. Batting number seven for the Cubs is Thompson Livingston, better known as Mickey, a 31-year-old discharged member of the Army Ground Forces who comes from Newberry, South Carolina. Batting number eight for Chicago is Roy Hughes, the shortstop. He's a 34-year-older who was born in Cincinnati and lives in Los Angeles, like uh, Don Johnson. And batting ninth and pitching this afternoon for the Cubs in this first ball game is 27-year-old Hank Baroy, the pride of Bloomfield, New Jersey. This is the third World Series for Hank. He pitched two with the Yankees. Here is the batting order for the home-standing Detroit Tigers. The leadoff hitter will be 34-year-old James Webb, W-E-B-B. He was born and he lives in Meridian, Mississippi. Batting number two for Detroit, Eddie Mayo, their second baseman. He was in the World Series with the Giants back nine years ago. He was born in Massachusetts. He lives in Clifton, New Jersey. Batting number three for Detroit, Roger Kramer, the 39-year-old veteran playing his 17th year in the majors. He was born in Beach Haven, New Jersey, and he lives in Manahawkin now in the same state. Batting number four for Detroit is Captain Hank Greenberg, discharged recently from the Army Air Forces after distinguished service. Hank at 34 is in his third World Series. And now the Tigers are coming out on the field. Batting number five for them will be Roy Cullenbein. He's from Tennessee. Batting sixth will be Big Rudy York, the first baseman. Batting seventh will be Jimmy Outlaw, the third baseman. Batting eighth will be Paul Richards, the catcher. And batting ninth will be Hal Newhauser. Umpire at the plate is Bill Summers of the American League. At first base is Lou Jordan of the National League. At second is Passarella of the American League. And at third is Conlon of the National League. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to present to you the man who will broadcast the play-by-play -play of the first half of the ball game. He served with distinction in the United States Navy as a lieutenant commander. Your friend and mine, Al Helfer. Al? Well, thank you, Bill, very much. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And it certainly is a privilege and a pleasure to be here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit this afternoon to see this 43rd World Series about to get underway. The lineups as given you by Bill Slater remain intact and are absolutely authentic. We'll set the Detroit Tigers for you defensively just before the ball game gets underway. Now the first ball will be thrown out by Commissioner Chandler. Commissioner Chandler last evening in his suite here in the Hotel Statler in Detroit was very proud to be here in Detroit was very proud that he was able to see a peacetime World Series this year. And he is to throw the first ball out 
for this game. Now here are the Tigers for you defensively as the ball comes out. Hal Newhauser on the mound, who has amassed a, an amazing record for two years of play with the Detroit Tigers, uh, speaking principally of the last two years, in which he has won 54 ball games and lost 18. In 1944, Hal Newhauser won 29 games and lost nine. Well, this year, I think everyone is familiar with his record of 25 wins and nine defeats. However, not only has he been the leading pitcher, but also he has led in striking out men. He struck out 187 last year and 212 this year. Now we'll pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Now we're just seconds away from the very first pitch of the 1945 World Series, and Stanley Hack, who this year in the National League hit a snappy 322, is stepping up to the plate to be the first hitter. Stan hits left-handed and stands very deep in batter's box. Stan is just off the plate. Hal Newhouser out on the mound, takes his sign from Richards. The left-hander pumps once, kicks high, throws a fast curve. That is low. And that is the first pitch of the ball game. And the ball is taken over and given to Happy Chandler. Of course, the first pitch that is made will not go down in the official record books as the first pitch of the series. This one that is coming up right now will be the first official pitch. And now the ball game is about to get underway. Al Newhauser looking down at Stanley Hack. Here comes his first pitch now. It's a fastball. It's hit down across the carpet to third base. Jimmy Outlaw third comes up nicely. It goes to York, and that is all for Hack. Well, the first pitch ball results in the first Chicago out here in the 1945 World Series. As Stanley Hack bounces down to Outlaw and is thrown out. Don Johnson is the second hitter in the Chicago batting order. Don Johnson, the 34-year-old right-hander, playing at second base for Chicago. And his play has been sparkling this year on the inner defense. We'll set the Tigers for you defensively now with Hal Newhouser on the mound. Richards behind the plate. At first base is Big Rudy York. At second base is Eddie Mayo. At shortstop, Skeeter Webb. And at third base, Jimmy Outlaw. Out in left field is Hank Greenberg. In center is Kramer. And in right field, Kellen Bond. Newhouser pitches a fast one in there that swung on a miss for a strike. No balls, one strike is the count on Don Johnson, the Chicago second baseman. Newhouser throws another medium-speed curveball. It's hit back past the mound and back over center field for a base hit. But Johnson is on. The ball was partially stopped by Hal Newhouser, the pitcher, but it carried right off his glove and moved in behind second base. The batter coming up now is Peanuts Larry. So the first hit in the 1945 World Series is picked up by Don Johnson, the Chicago second baseman. Peanuts Larry isn't very big. He stands about five, seven and a half. It's right-handed. He stands with a widespread eagle stance deep at the plate. Newhauser checks his runner at first, throws a fast one into the plate that swung on and fouled off for strike one. No balls, one strike is the count on Peanuts Larry. On deck to hit next, in case he's needed, is Phil Cavaletta, the National League batting champion this year. Peanuts Larry, as he stands at the plate, is a 283 hitter this year. Johnson leads off first, one away, top of the first inning. Newhauser throws quickly to first, but Johnson steps in ahead of it. Rudy York returns the ball to the mound. Top of the first inning, one out, no score. 
Al Neuhauser takes his stretch, looks at first again. Down comes his delivery. It's a fast curve that misses just outside. That moves the count up to an even status on Peanuts Larry. Neuhauser again with that gandering check over at first. Delivers a fast curve outside. That's ball two. Two and one. Two balls, one strike. Neuhauser taking a little time now. His back visits the Rosenberg. Looks around, checks his infield. Now checks his runner at first. First to the plate, there goes the runner. It's swung on a missed at the plate for a strike. A low plate goes into the second base and made a covering and it gets away from him. And Johnson sliding under the tag, incidentally, is on at second base. So it is going to be a stolen base. The first one in the series. And Johnson steals second. So now the Chicago Cubs have a runner at second base. One out. Lyle was up there and swung on that last pitch and missed it. And now a little time is being taken out down behind third base. While the turner of the Detroit Tigers comes out there. Eddie Mayer has come down. He went down on uh, both knees trying to stop that throw by Richards, the catcher, attempting to get uh, Don Johnson as he broke for second base with a hit and run on. And apparently he twisted his right ankle slightly because they are uh, giving him a little treatment on his right ankle. However, this is a picture here in the top half of the first inning. Stanley Hack became the first out as he was thrown out by Outlaw from third base. Then Don Johnson hit a ball very sharply. Back past the mound, Hal Newhouser tried to flag it down, but the ball carried off to the top of his outstretched fingertips and rolled back at second base and out into short, very short center field for a base hit. Then with a count on Lowry of two balls and one strike, Don Johnson was sent down by Charlie Grimm to try to take second base. And Peanuts Lowry swung to protect the runner, missed the ball completely for strike two, and Paul Richards Pegg went down to second base to Eddie Mayhope covering there, but Don Johnson's slide was in at second base safely, and he is credited with the first steal of the 1945 World Series. And that's how it stands right now in the top half of the first inning. There's no score as yet, but the Chicago Cubs are threatening slightly with a man at second and one out. Peanuts Lowry up the plate right now with a count of two balls and two strikes. And he has an opportunity of hammering in a run here because Johnson is very fleet of foot. Larry, by the way, in his year's work in the National League, batted in 87 runs. Now Newhouser checks his runner at second. We're ready to go again. He delivers the plate's fastball, hit high into center field. Buck Kramer comes charging in under it in short left center now and takes it to the out. Johnson has to move back into second base. So Larry is out of there, flying out to Doc Kramer for the second out. The batter now is Phil Cavaletta who was the National League batting champion this year, hitting at 355. And Cavaretta, too, has uh, batted in quite a few runs in the National League. As a matter of fact, he had 96 of them across the plate for his ball club this year. Phil Cavaretta has been in two World Series, 1935 and 1938, with the Chicago Cubs. Played his first series at the age of 18. Al Neuhauser, who was with the Detroit Tigers in 1940, when they won the World Championship, and had a record of 9-9, nine and nine, but did not appear in the series. But he's appearing today, believe me. He pitches to the plate now, and it's a low, fast curve. It gets away from Richards, but he scampers after it quickly, 
picks it up, and Don Johnson does not break from second base. So that low pitch into the dirt is just ball one to Phil Cavaretta. One ball, no strikes. Rudy York calls for time, runs over from first base. He wants to say something to this 24-year-old left-hander, Hal Newhauser. Now he trots back behind first. That York is a big fella, believe me. Now Newhauser peers down to Paul Richards. Crafty catcher takes a sign. Looks back at second, delivers to the plate, and Cavaretta takes another low curve that bounces into the dirt for ball two. Richards came up with it very nicely. Kept it from going through. There are two outs on Chicago here in the top half of the first inning. And Don Johnson with a single and a steal of second is on at second. There's no score. Newhouser stretches. Again, checks second base. Delivers a fast one to the plate that is hit down across the carpet towards second base. Eddie Mayo comes in, picks it up, flips it over to Rudy York, and it's not in time. It's not in time at first base. And it goes as a base hit for Phil Cavaretta. A very slow roller down to second base. And Johnson moves over to third on the play. So Chicago now has runners at first and third. Two outs. And Andy Pafko hitting at 298 for his season's work in the National League. And he can go get him out in center field. He's really a speed merchant. Pafko has hit on 111 runs in the National League this year. He has his opportunity now with two outs and runners at first and third. The first pitch is made to him, and it's a low, fast curve on the outside for ball one. So here in the top of the first inning, there is no score, but the Chicago Cubs are threatening, and Hal Newhouser is wading around in hot water. He delivers the plate a fast, low curve that gets away from Richards and rolls back. Here comes Johnson breaking from third, and he comes on in the score. And moving down to second base, very easily on the play, is Phil Cavaretta. And it is judged to be a passed ball. So Johnson scores the first run of the 1945 World Series on a passed ball. Cavaretta with his, his fast ball has moved down to second base. And now Andy Pafko is going to be purposely put on. There's ball three and ball four on the outside. Bill Nicholson is coming to the plate now. It's a one to nothing ball game in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Newhouser delivers to the plate. Nicholson swings and there's a long drive going out into right field. Going way over and getting under it now is Kevin Vine, and he can't make the catch. It falls behind him. In comes one run, and Nicholson winds up at third base. Two runs came pouring across the plate as right on the heels of Cabaretta came a guy by the name of Andy Pafko. We told you he could run, and he really moved. And it's very quickly now, three to nothing in favor of the Chicago Cubs of the National League as Nicholson hit one deep. Back for the 370-foot sign in right field. And Cullen Vine could not come up with it, so it's a triple for Nicholson. Hit the right. That's the third hit. Good for runs two and three. And the batter to plate now is Mickey Livingston, hitting right-handed. Swings in the first pitch and doesn't get it. Strike one. Nicholson leading off at third base. Down comes the next pitch, and there's a ball hit back at second base. And out into center field on the ground all the way for a base hit, and the fourth run comes in for Chicago. Mickey Livingston, a hit right back through the middle. The man coming up to the plate right now is Hughes, the shortstop. 
Two outs here in the top of the first inning. Chicago, the National League leading, four to nothing. Newhouser makes the first pitch, and it's a fastball. It's right through for a strike. Hughes hits right-handed and stands very deep at the plate and crouches. Newhouser throws to the plate. There goes the runner, and it's a high curve. It's taken. And they peg down to second base. Eddie Mayo is in time as the sliding spikes of Livingston is in there, and he is out. He's out stealing from the catcher, Richards, to Eddie Mayo, the second baseman. So in the first inning, four runs for the Chicago Cubs. And the score is Chicago four and Detroit nothing. Well, there's been only one unassisted triple play in series history. In 1920, the Dodgers, batting against the Cleveland Indians, had men on first and second. And then it happened. Cleveland's second baseman caught a line drive. One out. He touched second. Two out. He tagged a runner coming from first. Three out. Now, if you follow me, there's a triple play in shaving that finishes off tough whiskers one, two, three, just like that. When you soften your beard with Gillette shaving cream and whisk it off with today's Gillette blue blade in your Gillette razor, you'll get the slickest shaves in the book. And what's more, your face looks right in the pink and feels swell. Men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. And now for the last half of the first inning, the first man up for the Detroit Tigers is Skeeter Webb, the shortstop. The score, you know, is 4 to nothing in favor of the Chicago Cubs of the National League. And Hank Baroy, who this year won 21 ball games and lost seven with his work for his work with the Yankees and the Chicago Cubs. And he's out on the mound right now. And that's a pretty good margin for a guy as tough as Hank Baroy is to be working on in the very start of the ball game. Skeeter Webb, a right-hand hitter, stands just off the plate. He's tall and slender, hits right-handed. Roy tries a fast curve that's in and over for called strike one. No balls, one strike. That's the count on Skeeter Webb, the Detroit shortstop. For his work this year, he hit 200. A curveball picks up the outside corner as Roy feeds him a fast one for called strike two. No balls, two strikes. That's the count on Skeeter Webb. 34 year old shortstop stands there fidgeting, waits. Roy curves him again. This one's hit through the hole between short and third, not into left field for base hit. And Skeeter Webb for the Tigers is on. So the Tigers here in the last half of the first inning are trying to fight their way back as Skeeter Webb singles on the ground all the way and into left field. And here is Eddie Mayo. This is the second World Series Eddie has played in. He played in the 1936 World Series, but he was a New York Giant at that particular time. He's hitting 286 for the for the season. Hits left-handed. Roy throws a fast curve low for ball one. The outfield is fanned around slightly toward right field to this left-hand hitter. Mayo has an overly closed stance as he stands deep at the plate. Mayo moves that bat back and forth. Roy comes down with his next pitch. It's fastball. It's hit right back through the middle and out into center field for a base hit. Skeeter Webb goes down to second and holds on. It's a single for Eddie Mayo. Pounded back through the middle. That is hit number two of Hank Baroy. Now the batter coming up to the plate for Steve O'Neill's Tigers is a 39-year-old veteran, Roger Duck Kramer, 
who played back in 1931 in the World Series. He was then a member of the Philadelphia Athletics. The center fielder is stepping in, hitting left-handed. He crowds the plate slightly from behind and holds that bat high on his left shoulder. Runners at first and second and no outs. In the last half of the first inning, and the Cubs lead 4 to nothing. The first pitch is made to the plate, and it misses just outside for ball one. Out in right field, Bill Nicholson has gone way back, almost to the boards. The outfield is fanned around the right and is playing deep. Roy throws to the plate. It's a fast curve. It's hit back to shortstop. The play over to second base to Johnson for one out. The throw on the first base, two outs. So Kramer hits into a fast double play from Hughes, the shortstop. Over to Johnson at second and right on to the waiting midfield Cabaretta at first. And Webb moves over to third and takes his station there on the play. So very quickly, there are two outs in the last half of the first inning. The batter now is Hank Greenberg with the score standing four to nothing in favor of the Chicago Cubs of the National League. We're in the last half of the first inning with two away and a runner at third for Detroit. Hank, very tall, very powerful right-hand hitter. Roy comes down with the first pitch, and it's a high, fast curve off the point of the shoulder for ball one. Webb takes a very short, modest lead off third base. Roy, very thankful for the double play behind him. It broke the back of the Detroit threat. Very hurriedly gets ready for this next pitch to Greenberg. He pumps once, throws a fast curve. It's low and into the dirt. And Livingston has to go down on both knees to block it to keep it from going through. First Greenberg, that's just ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Last half of inning number one. Once again, the score, in case you just tuned in, is Chicago four and Detroit nothing. Chicago going out in the top half of the first inning after two were away and picked up four runs. The big blow in the first inning was Bill Nicholson's triple to deep right field. Aberroy checks. Skeeter Webb at third. Looks down at Greenberg. Delivers him two and nothing. And it's a high fast curve that Greenberg leans back from for ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Greenberg looks around at Steve O'Neill at third base to get a sign on this three nothing pitch, whether he's allowed to hit it or not. Roy comes in with a fast one. That is low for ball four. And Greenberg is walked. That puts runners at first and second. And that's the first base on balls given up by Baroy. Now down at the plate is Roy Cullenbine. Cullenbine is a switch hitter, and against the right-hand pitching of Hank Broy, he'll be up there hitting left-handed. It's a pretty good-sized fellow. Hits a long ball. Two outs here in the last half of the first. Runners at first and third for Detroit. Chicago leading four to nothing. Broy checks his runners, throws to the plate, and it's high and on the outside for ball one. Greenberg steps off first. Skeeter Webb steps off third. The outfield is fanned around to right and is playing deep to Cullen Bine. Cullen Bine, uh, this year in the American League, hit 272. Batted in 92 runs for the club. Widespread eagle stance at the plate. Stands about midway in batter's box. Roy throws him a change of pace curve that's high for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Roy monkeys around with the rosin bag. Steps right up to the rubber now. Takes a sign from Livingston. It's ready. Comes down with the next pitch. It's a curveball. It's high for ball three. So very quickly now, the count on Roy Cullenbein is three balls, 
No strikes. Two outs, last of the first. Runners at first and second for Detroit. And Chicago leading in this game, four to nothing. The time has been called as Stanley Hack comes over from third base. And Roy Hughes charges in from shortstop. There's a short conference at the mound with Hank Baroy. Now it's broken up. Hack goes back to third. Hughes goes back to shortstop. Now Baroy is ready. Columbine swings that bat, pucks it on his shoulder. Down comes the pitch. And it's high and on the outside for ball four, and that loads him up. Charlie Grimm, the Chicago manager, has just come charging out of the Chicago dugout behind first base. And he walks out and talks to Hank Broy and then slaps him on the back. The bases are loaded with the Detroit Tigers here in the last half of the first inning. Cullen Bynum, who has just walked behind Greenberg's walk, is on at first. Greenberg himself is on at second. At third is Skeeter Webb. Two outs, and the batter coming up to the plate is old kickapoo Rudy York. York this year's batting percentage hasn't been uh, terrifically high, but he's been a timely hitter. He's hit 18 home runs this year. He's hitting a 265 for his work in the American League. He's facing now Hank Broy. The bases are loaded. York takes a fast curve in there for a strike. No balls, one strike is a count on Rudy York. You know this guy, Hank Broy, in his work in the American League before coming over to the National League, was sort of a menace to these Detroit Tigers. Beat him 11 times. York swings on the next pitch, and there's a looping fly ball going out into very short right field. Cabaretta goes back and steps across into foul territory behind first base, takes it for the out. And that's all for York. Fouling out to first baseman Phil Cabaretta. And the last half of the first inning, no runs. For the Detroit Tigers, two hits, three men left, and there were no errors. So at the end of one full inning of play, in this first game of the 1945 World Series at Briggs Stadium in Detroit, the score is Chicago four and Detroit nothing. We pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Now for inning number two here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. The first man up for the Chicago Cubs is going to be Roy Hughes, the shortstop. If you recall, he was left at the alder when Livingston was caught uh, by Richards trying to steal second base. So Hughes will be the first man up. He'll be followed by Hank Baroy. Al Newhauser makes the first pitch, and this right-hand hitter swings on a high curve and misses for strike one. The first half of inning number two. Newhauser bends that left elbow again. There's a fast one swung on and fouled right back into the screen. So very quickly now, the count on Roy Hughes, the Chicago shortstop. No balls, two strikes. Right-handed hitter standing very deep at the plate. Hughes hit 257 with Chicago this year. Newhauser taking the sign from Richards. Pumps once, twice. Throws a fastball. It is in there for call strike three. Well, there's our first strikeout in the series. Al Newhauser hangs it up. He struck out 212 this year. In two years' work, in 44 and 45, he struck out 399 men. And Hank Baroy is coming up to the plate now. Hank with Chicago. As a hitter, batted at 171. Hank played in two World Series before. 
As Bill told you a little uh, earlier in the broadcast, he played in the 42 and 43 World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a right-hand hitter. Part of that ball pretty well when he gets a hold of it. Newhauser tries a change of pace curve on him. It's inside. Ball one. Hal comes right back. Broy takes. It's a good call strike right above the knees and right through the middle. One and one on Hank Broy. One away in the top of the second inning for the Chicago Cubs. The score stands Cubs four, the Tigers nothing. Newhauser pitches a fastball that's nicely in and over. One ball, two strikes. Roy watches Newhauser get ready and steps forward toward this pitch and takes it high. That levels the count off. Two and two. Two balls, two strikes. Hank hitting right-handed, standing just off the plate. Newhauser delivers a fast curve that slides off just outside. Now the count is three and two. The first full count we've had on any batter in this game. Three and two. Newhauser delivers a fastball through and swung on and missed for strike three. That's all for Broy. That quickly is strikeout number two for Newhauser. Batter up at the plate now is Stanley Hack. Hack came up in the top of the first inning. Bounced one down to Jimmy Outlaw and was thrown out. Newhauser south pausing. And this left-hand hitter takes a strike. Just off the belt buckle on the inside slide. No balls, one strike. Newhauser comes back with a curveball and swung on a miss. A strike, and that was a leading speed curveball. Almost curved in the way of first base. Hack uh, had a notion not to strike at it, but he finally did and missed it. He swings on the next pitch and beats a foul down back at third base. Count stays. No balls, two strikes. Two outs, top of the second inning. And the Chicago Cubs are leading in this ballgame, four to nothing. Newhauser monkeying around on the mound. Goes after the rosin bag. Now he's ready to pitch throws, and it's a fast curve swung on a miss for strike three. So Newhouse strikes out all three men to face him here in the second inning. His third strike out of the day. Nothing across. The score and the end of one and a half innings. Chicago four and Detroit. Nothing. Well, on terminal leave from the Navy, and right here beside me is Gordon Stanley Mike Mickey for short Cochran player manager of the pennant winning Detroit Tigers of 1934 the world champion Tigers of 1935 one of the greatest catchers of all time Mickey Cochran come on in here and tell the fans uh, why you've been dubbed Black Mike for years and years hello fans everywhere and hello Detroit well they call me Black Mike because they've got the toughest set of whiskers in major league history bar none but say those ebony spikes of mine are duck soup for that Gillette blue blade yes sir Shaving is mighty quick and refreshing for me. Well, tell me, Mickey, what's the difference between the Gillette Blue Blade and Ordinary Blades? All the difference in the world, Al. They're sharp, plenty sharp. Thanks, Mickey Cochran. And remember, fans, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now for the last half of inning number two with the score standing, Chicago four, and the Detroit Tigers nothing. The first man up at bat for Detroit is going to be Jimmy Outlaw. Jimmy hit 274 in the season for the Detroit Tigers in the American League, playing not only as a third baseman, but also as an outfielder. He's a right-hand hitter, stands deep at the plate, and opens his stance slightly toward third. Now Broy starts his pumping motion, makes the first delivery. It's a fast curve. It's swung on. There's a high foul ball going up behind first base. Phil Cavaretta comes over near the Chicago dugout and snags it for the out. 
That's all for Outlaw. Calling up and out to first baseman Cabaretta. Paul Richards, a nice-looking, tall, dark-haired catcher of the Detroit Tigers, is stepping up to bat right now. Richards hit 252 in the season. 37-year-old veteran has a lot of baseball knowledge tucked in the back of that head of his. He hits right-handed and stands very deep at the plate. Roy pumps once, kicks, throws a change of pace curve that swung on and fouled off for strike one. No balls, one strike. That's the count on Paul Richards, the Detroit catcher. We're in the last half of the second inning. Score, Chicago four, Detroit nothing. Roy throws a three-quarter overhand fastball. It's on the inside. That's ball one. One ball, one strike. The outfielder, Richards, is playing him as a pull hitter in the left field. They're not playing him very deep, incidentally. He's not known as a long ball hitter. Roy throws, and Richards swings and foul tips it. Bounces back into the mask of Mickey Livingston. The ball goes all the way out onto the playing field. Bill Summer says he wants to see that ball, takes it, examines it, and puts a new one in play. The count on Richards is one ball, two strikes. One out, last of the second, no base runners. Baroy has rubbed his ball briefly now, puts his right foot forward on the rubber, pumps twice, spins, delivers, and Richards swings on a medium-speed curveball and fouls it back into the netting. Down stays at one ball, two strikes. Hughes at shortstop has moved down uh, into the hole toward third base. Richards takes the next pitch high on the outside. That moves the count up two and two. Two balls, two strikes. Livingston holds the big mid up as a target. Roy comes down with a two and two delivery and swung on. There's a line drive smacked over third base in foul territory. On stays at two and two. Richards fell away from an inside pitch that time and spiked it well. It pulled it about five feet foul down behind third. Incidentally, he broke his bat on that line drive also. He comes back to the Detroit dugout, gets himself a new one. While he's taking a bit of time to get a new bat, Hank Broy continually throws down to the plate to Mickey Livingston to keep warm. Very chilly here in Detroit this afternoon. Alberoy is ready to deliver two and two. Richards waiting. Down comes a pitch. Side-on delivery. That's outside for ball three. So it's a three and two count on Paul Richards, the Detroit catcher. Broy leans forward from the mound, takes his sign, delivers three and two. It's a fastball. Richards hits the dirt to keep from being plunked. Of course, it's ball four. That's the second base on balls given up by Broy. So Richard starts off the first and a round of applause is for Hal Neuhauser as he comes striding up to the plate. In addition to being a top-ranking pitcher, Major League Baseball, Hal Neuhauser is a pretty good hitter for a pitcher. He swings out him left-handed and this year hit at 2.57. At 28 hits for 109 at-bats in the American League. First pitch comes down and Neuhauser hauls his bat down off his shoulders if to button and takes it. Roy had it right in there for a strike. No balls, one strike. Hank checks Richards at first, delivers to the plate. It's in again for a called strike. But twice, Newhauser has ignored the pitch and it's cost him. A little time is being called by Bill Summers, the plate umpire. So uh, some paper had gotten out and 
left field. It's picked up. Now time is in again. Roy delivers the plate. Newhauser swings and hits it off the end of his bat. Foul down back of third. The count stays. No balls. Two strikes. Last half of the second inning. One out. Richards is on at first for Detroit. The score stands Chicago four and Detroit nothing. Roy with a new ball. Checks first again. Looks at Newhauser. Delivers him. Newhauser swings on it. There's a ball hit down to second. Johnson comes up with it. Plays it to Hughes for one out to throw to first. In time for a double play. And that is the second time the Chicago Cubs have come up with a double play against the Detroit Tigers. This one from four to six to three, or from second to short to first. Richards was caught in the middle of that double play. And in the second inning, for Detroit, nothing across, no runs, no hits, no errors, nobody left. So the score at the end of two full innings of play is Chicago four and Detroit nothing. We're going into the top of the third now, and the first man up for Chicago is going to be Don Johnson. He'll be followed by Peanuts Lowry and then by Phil Cavaretta. Don Johnson in the first inning got a single. Hit back through the middle, back of second base. Peanuts Lowry flied out to center fielder Doc Kramer. Phil Cavaretta also got a base hit back of second base in that first inning. So the first three men up have half of the crop of hits off Hal Newhauser so far in this ball game. Hal Newhauser just thrown the last of his warm-up pitches down. And in case you tuned in late, let us set the Detroit Tigers for you again defensively. Hal Newhauser is on the mound. His battery mate is Paul Richards. At first base is Rudy York. At second is Eddie Mayo. At shortstop, Skeeter Webb. At third is Jimmy Outlaw. In left field, Hank Greenberg. In center field, Doc Kramer. And in right field, Roy Cullenbach. Now here is Don Johnson at the plate. Inside for ball one. This fellow Newhauser can really rear back and throw that rock. Archie's pumping motion once more. Delivers to the plates. The fastball swung on. Hit out in the center field. Doc Kramer charging over to his left. And tries to make a one-handed glove catch, but he can't do it. It cams off his glove. Rolls over toward Cullenbein. Cullenbein picks it up and fires it into the infield. But it's a standing-up double. For Johnson. For Johnson is on in second with the first two-bagger of this 1945 series and the second extra base blow off Newhauser. Nicholson tripled. That's the fifth hit off Newhauser. The batter is Peanuts Lowry. He flied to Doc Kramer in center. His first at-bat. Newhauser delivers the plate and Lowry pushes a bunt to the right of the mound. It's picked up by Newhauser. He's plays back to Rudy York at first base for the out. But the sacrifice works, moving Johnson down to third base. So that's the first out here in the third inning. The batter is Phil Cavaretta. And the strategy being here that a fly ball would get in a run. And of course, Charlie Grimm playing for that fifth run if it's at all possible to get. Newhauser delivers this left hand hitter, and Cavaretta takes a low, fast curve into the dirt. Ball one. Richards very nicely came up with it. Johnson leads off third, one away. Newhauser checks third, delivers the plates, a fastball hit out into center field, and it drops in for a base hit. In comes Johnson very easily to score the fifth Chicago run. Cabaretta is on with a looping fly ball hit into center field for single. That is hit number six. Run number five of Newhauser. Now the batter to plate hitting right-handed is Andy Pafko, who was walked in the first inning, so he's coming up for his first official at bat. He swings on the first pitch. There's a solid base hit. Wrapped deep into left center field. It's going to be extra bases. Here comes Cabaretta digging past third. He's being sent on in to score. It is a two-bagger. 
to left center field for Andy Papko. So that's it, number seven off Newhouser. Run number six. And the Chicago Cubs lead over the Detroit Tigers. Six to nothing, and we're in the top half of the third inning of this first game. Andy Papko belted one on the line at left center field. Now the batter coming up to the plate is Bill Nicholson, who laced out that triple back in the first inning. Newhauser delivers, and there's a ball hit out into very short right field. From second base, Eddie Mayo goes back and grabs it. Well, that's all for Nicholson. That's the second Cub out here in the top of the third inning. The batter now is Mickey Livingston. Mickey came up in the first inning, and lo and behold, he hit one, too, right back through the middle. Batted in Nicholson from third base. He's a right-hand hitter. Takes the first pitch, and it's right nicely over for a call strike. Newhouser's been pouring that fast one in ever since the ball game started. Down comes the next pitch and swung on and missed. That's strike two. That was a fast curve just off the inside corner, right tight up against the hitter's fingers. Pafko leads off second. Down comes the next pitch, and there's a fastball hit right back through the middle. Out in the center field for a base hit. Pafko comes tearing around third. Charlie Grimm waves him on in, and it's the seventh run for Chicago. Right off Newhauser's hit number eight, run number seven. The Cubs now lead Detroit. Seven to nothing, and that's going to be all for Hal Newhauser. So Hal this afternoon pitches himself two and one-third, two and two-third innings. Two and two-third innings, and he's coming out of there. We're going to have a new pitcher for Detroit. The score stands right now at seven for Chicago and nothing for the Detroit Tigers. And coming out from behind left field, way back with a 440-foot sign, back in the runway, is the new Detroit pitcher. And it's particularly difficult for us here in our vantage point to see who it is. I believe it is going to be Al Benton. He's a right-hander. Yes, I believe so. Al Benton, a Navy discharge. He is undoubtedly coming into the ball game. They pick him up by that slight limp in his right leg. You know, he had it broken the fourth part of the season down in Philadelphia. on a batted ball off the bat of Bob Estalella. Wrapped right back to the mound, and the result was that Al Benton, the big right-hander, was out for about six weeks. Al Benton is coming into the ball game. Al Benton moving in. So he'll only pitch first of all here in the third inning to Hughes. Now that Benton has taken his position down on the mound, he'll be given an opportunity to throw a few warm-up pitches down to his battery mate, Paul Richards. Now with the chance of the pitcher out on the mound for Detroit, let us set them again for you defensively. Al Benton is on the mound. Benton this year won 13 ball games for Detroit and lost eight. He pitched 192 innings, gave up 174 hits, struck out 77 men. And that was uh, quite a record for a guy that had a six weeks layoff with a broken leg. And he's out there now for Detroit. And here in the third inning, he will pitch first of all to shortstop Hughes of Chicago. Now the man on at first base that's Mickey Livingston and his single just hit in the seventh run for the Chicago Cubs. 
Livingston is a responsibility of Hal Newhouser, who's leaving the ball game. And Al Benton takes on the ballistic burden for Detroit. Now Hughes, a right-hand hitter, who struck out for Hal Newhouser in the second inning, so he's coming up for his second at-bat, and he's 0-1. He's ready to face Big Benton. Al makes the first pitch, and it's a fast curve under the knees and on the inside. Ball one. Benton looks pretty fast this afternoon, too. The two outs here in the top of the third inning. Benton delivers. There goes the runner. The ball is taken at the plate. The peg is down to Eddie Mayo at second in time. And that is all for Livingston. Twice now he's been cut down trying to steal. Richards has gotten him both times. Both times it has been Eddie Mayo, the second baseman. So in the third inning, one, two, three runs for the Chicago Cubs on one, two, three, four hits. Nobody left, and there were no errors. So at the end of two and a half innings of play, the score stands Chicago seven and Detroit nothing. A while ago, you fans heard Mickey Cochran, who piloted the Detroit Tigers to a world championship just ten years ago this month. Tell what slick, easy shaves he gets with today's Gillette Blue Blade. Now, there are millions of shavers just as enthusiastic as Mickey Cochran about this finest of razor blades. In fact, the Gillette Blue Blade is number one in preference the world over because it's number one in sharpness. Yes, today's Gillette Blue Blade has the sharpest edges ever hauled. So sharp, so smoothly finished, so easy shaving, that tough beard's no problem at all. It's mighty easy to check all Al, too. Just ask your dealer for Gillette Blue Blades and see how quick and how easy and how smooth and refreshing shaving can be. Man, what shaves you do get. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now for the last half of inning number three here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. The score stands, the Chicago Cubs seven. And the Detroit Tigers nothing. As we go into the last half of inning number three. Starting the second batting around for Detroit is Skeeter Webb, the shortstop. He got himself a single, punched through the hole between short and third and into left field in the first inning. Roy throws a fastball, hit down to first base. Cabaretta comes over near the line, knocks it down, and from his position on his knees, throws to Broy, covering it first for the out. Very nice play on the part of Phil Cabaretta, knocking down a hot ground smash down behind first base. Phil came up with it to his knees and threw to Hank Broy, covering it first. That so far has been the infield play of the day. The batter is Eddie Mayo, hitting left-handed. He singled back through the middle in the first inning, so he has one hit and one try. Left-hand hitter with an overly closed stance. Roy throws a fast curve in there that bites over the inside corner. Call strike one. No balls, one strike. One out, last of the third. Roy delivers, and there's a ball hit foul down the left field line and up into the second tier. No balls, two strikes. Eddie Mayo. Roy pumping easily. Twists now. The right-hander throws a medium-speed curve. It's swung on and missed. Uh, strike three. That's all for Mayo. And that's first strikeout for Hank Baroy. Hank with the Chicago Cubs this year struck out 47 men. His record isn't nearly that in the strikeout department, as was Hal Newhouser's, his opposing starter. But Hank's still in there, and Hal isn't. The batter to plate now is Doc Kramer hitting left-handed, and he swings on the first pitch that's offered, and there's a long fly ball foul. Out back of right field, and it falls up into the second tier for strike one.
Rock Kramer can hit a pretty long ball when he gets a hold of it. He pulls him mostly into right field. And they play him as a pull hitter to right. Roy feeds him a fast curve under his knees this time. That levels his count off at one and one. One ball, one strike. Last half of inning number three. Two outs for the Tigers. No base runners. And Chicago in front seven to nothing. Roy delivers. A medium speed curveball swung on and missed. Or strike two. Kramer tried to take a hitch in his swing that time to time that ball and meet it. But he started to lash out for it much too soon. So he just finished on with his swing and took the second strike. One ball, two strikes. Roy throws. There's a fastball. It's a curve and low. That makes it an even count now on the center fielder of Detroit. Roger Kramer has two balls, two strikes. Doug digs. He spikes in good there at the plate. There's a high fast curve right off the point of the shoulder. Kramer, and he just leans back to take ball three. It's full count on Doc. Three and two. Two outs, last of the third inning. Nobody on for Detroit. Roy pumps, throws easily. It's a fast ball, low and on the outside for ball four. Kramer gets himself a base on balls. That's the third one given up by Roy. Now with two away here in the last half of the third inning. The man coming up to the plate is Hank Greenberg. Greenberg hitting right-handed. Hank was walked back in the first inning, so he's coming up for his first official at-bat. Tall, slender right-hand hitter. Swings on the first pitch viciously and doesn't get it. Strike one. Kramer leading off at first base. His lead is very short. Doc's not quite as fast as he used to be. Roy tries a change of pace curve on Greenberg, and Hank has to hit the dirt. Keep from being plunked. Hank gets up, and he was just grazed on his left shoulder. And Summers comes out and says he was hit with a pitch. So Hank moves down to first base. That ball was a fast, high, tight inside curve. And Greenberg just got out of the way of it in time, and the ball just grazed across his uniform blocks. And he's left shoulder point. So he's put on. That's the first hit batsman we've had in the series. And that moves Kramer down to second base. That brings up Roy Cullen by. Matter of fact, that's the first uh, time a Roy this year has hit anybody. Cullen Bond was walked back in the first inning. So he's coming up officially for the first time also. A switch hitter hitting left-handed. Standing deep at the plate. Roy comes back with the next pitch. Columbine swings on it, and there's a high pop-up going back to first base. However, Don Johnson, the second baseman, comes over and calls for it. Cavaretta allows him to take it. So that's all for Detroit here in the third inning. No runs, no hits. There were two men left, and there were no errors. So at the end of three full innings of play, the score stands Chicago 7 and Detroit nothing. And now before uh, we get along in the ball game. Just like to pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Al Benton, who was called upon to relieve Hal Newhauser here in this ball game in the third inning, was pitching to Hughes when Livingston went out stealing in the third inning. So Al Benton has pitched one third of an inning in this ball game, and he's about ready to start the fourth inning here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. This is not Al Benton's ball game as it now stands, nor can it be unless the Detroit Tigers 
should catch up with the Chicago Cubs or go ahead while Al is on the mound. But nevertheless, Benton is down there ready to go to work right now on the top of the fourth inning. And Hughes, who struck out in the second for Hal Newhauser, is stepping up to the plate as a right-hand hitter. Big Al Benton, the right-hander, makes the first delivery, and it's a nice curve in and over for call strike one. Benton puts that bad leg of his, the right one forward on the rubber. Now pitches. There's another fast curve, and this one slips off outside. Count is one and one. One ball, one strike on shortstop Roy Hughes. Benton vigorously pumps, throws a fastball that's hit out in the center field. Going back under it now, three steps to his right, waits. Is Doc Kramer, and he's got it for the out. And that's all for Hughes. Fly ball to center field. That's the first out in the top of the fourth inning. The batter now is Baroy. Hank takes his time coming out of the Chicago dugout. Gets a pretty nice round of applause from folks as he comes striding up. He's pitched himself a pretty good ball game so far. Slender, blonde, right-hand hitter. Big Al Benton, 200-pounder, makes his delivery. Moves a fast one through there for a strike. Richards holds his mitt up very close to the body of the hitter, Broy. Benton pitches toward that mitt, and it's low and on the inside. So it's count of one and one on Broy. One out, top of the fourth. No base runners. Benton throws a fastball. It's swung on by Broy, and there's a high foul ball going back to first base. Rudy York is chasing it way over near the stands, and he can't get it. It's right into the stands. Rudy gave that ball quite a rundown. For a big fellow, that Rudy York gets around pretty well. It's pretty fast. Broy standing right at the plate waiting now for this new ball to be rubbed up by Benton. Al again taking his sign from his crafty battery mate, Paul Richards. He's over his head easily, throws a fast curve that drives Broy back from the plate. Now it's a count of two and two on Hank. Two balls, two strikes. Top of the fourth inning, one out, nobody on. Benton comes down with a fast delivery that's swung on, beaten down into the ground, foul to the right of the plate. Count stays off at two and two. A lot of chatter on that Detroit infield right now. They're talking it up big to Benton. He delivers a fastball. It's swung on and missed. Broy spins all the way around as he strikes out. That's twice Broy struck out. He's 0 for 2 as a batsman today. First strikeout for Benton. That's the fourth Chicago Cub to go down via the strikeout route. Now with two away here in the top of the fourth inning, the batter is Stanley Hack. Starting the third batting around for Chicago, and Hack is 0 for 2. Benton tries a curve on him. It's high and outside. Ball one. Hack was thrown out by Outlaw in the first and struck out in the second. Hack's been called this year many times the errorless third baseman. He's got quite a batting percentage for his work in the league this year at 322. Takes the next pitch, and it's good for a strike. As Benton came down with a fast curve just above his knees. One and one. Benton comes right back. A medium speed curveball. It's hit back toward the mound. Benton grabs it, makes his play over to Rudy York, and it's not in time. That was a high chop. It was hit down off the rubber of home plate. And Benton, helplessly at the mound, had to wait until it came down. And by the time he got it and made his play to first base to Rudy York, Stanley Hack was on. The boys in the trade call that the Baltimore chop. So it's a base hit for Stanley Hack. He gives him one for three, and that is hit number one off Benton. Hit number nine. Chicago. The batter now is Don Johnson. Benton throws a fast one through there for a strike. 
this right-hand hitter. Johnson's had two hits and two tries, a single and a double in that order. Benton throws, there goes Stanley Hack. The ball is hit down toward third base. Outlaw comes up with it, makes his throw across to Rudy York at first. And that's the third out. Johnson goes out five to three or third to first. In the fourth inning, no runs, one hit for Chicago. One man left and there were no errors. So at the end of three and a half innings of play, the score stands Chicago seven and Detroit nothing. Well, fans, it takes the old apple only a third of a second to reach the plate when a speedball pitcher winds up and lets go. That's fast. That's really fast. But no faster than Gillette Brushless goes to work on tough beards, softening up your bristles for quick, easy shaving. Get me right now. That's no exaggeration. Gillette Brushless removes water-resisting oil from your whiskers almost instantly. Yes, and it blankets plenty of water against your stubble as a towel would, giving every bristle a good soaking in jig time. What's more, it stays wet on your face and lubricates your razor blade and soothes your skin. So Gillette Brushless speed shaving and makes the job easier and more comfortable. If you're a Brushless fan, you'll prefer Gillette Brushless. Demand is great and military requirements have been heavy. But week by week, Gillette Brushless is becoming easier to obtain. Yes, and it's well worth asking for it time and time again. Now the last half of the fourth inning. Rudy York is to be the first batter up for Detroit. He came up in the first inning and fouled up and out to Phil Cavaletta. So he's 0 for 1 for his work with the stick this afternoon. Big right-hand hitter standing very deep at the plate. Roy comes down with his first pitch. And it's a fast call strike. Curveball zipping over the outside corner just about waist high. No balls, one strike. First batter up for Detroit, last of the fourth inning. Roy throws a sidearm delivery that is outside. Ball one. Hank's been uh, using quite a bit of that crossfire stuff this year. He's been uh, pretty successful with it. Slender right-hander gets ready. Throws to the plate. New York swings on a big curve and misses it. That's strike two. Roy gets that ball back from Livingston. Outfield is fanned around the left and playing deep to Rudy York. He can really clout that potato. Next pitch is a high fast curve that York takes. That's ball two. Two and two. Roy standing down there in the sun. Makes the next pitch to the plate. It's a change of pace curve that has swung on and fouled off into the screen. Two and two on Rudy York. Last half of inning number four. Going to be York followed by Outlaw and then by Richards. Roy tries a fast curve that's high and outside. Now that's a three and two count to the Detroit first baseman. The last half of the fourth inning. The score stands Chicago seven and Detroit nothing. Roy kicks. Delivers a fast curve at the plate again and this time it's swung on him. Beaten down into the ground foul. York steps away from that plate. Takes a hitch at his britches. Moves back in. Livingston signs for the pitch. Broy delivers it. It's a fast low curve for ball four. Hank has been pouring some fast curves in there to these Tigers this afternoon. So York has walked to open the fourth inning for Detroit. That is the fifth base on balls given up by Broy. The batter now is outlaw. Jimmy came up in the second inning. Hit a high foul ball to Phil Cabaretta at first, so he's 0 for 1. He's a little right hand hitter, quite a competitor. 
Jimmy's always uh, a threat to push a bunt down toward third and thereby try to get on. That's the reason Hack is playing up just off third base. There's a throw very easily and lazily over to first, just to keep Rudy York tightly glued on at first. Hank actually wasn't trying to pick him off. Now he throws to the plate, and there's a center base hit that high ground to right field. Rudy York goes down to second and holds on. With that last single in the right. That's a number three out there. Hank gave up a pair of hits in the first inning. But a double play got him out of a lot of trouble. Now with runners at first and second and no outs, the batter is Paul Richards. He's a trap catcher. He was walked in the second inning, so he's coming up for his first official at bat. And of course, his second appearance at the plate. The score here in the last half of the fourth inning with nobody out and runners at first and second is Chicago 7 and Detroit nothing. And Gore pitching for Chicago delivers. And Richards reaches for a high curve. Tries to check himself, but the ball hits his back and turns off. Falls back into the screen for a strike. That ball is one strike. Richards holds that bat high off his right shoulder. Gore delivers, and it's outside. That makes a count one and one. One ball, one strike. York leads off second, outlaw off first. That outlaw can run. Now Broy settles down, delivers. A medium speed curveball. It's swung on and missed. Now Richards turns around and says, uh, something played on fire, Bill Summers. Bill just shook his head back and forth. One ball, two strikes is a count on catcher Richards of the Detroit Tigers. Cub pitcher comes down with his next offering and a swung on and missed. Ball strike three. A fast inside curve. Richards is out of there. Strikeout number two for Hank. About an hour scheduled to be Benton. Al Benton, the pitcher. Don't think, however, that uh, Benton's going to do any hitting. We're having a we're having a pinch hitter come in there for Al Benton. It's Zeb Eaton. And as a pitcher, he's a right smart hitter. Zeb Eaton is hitting for Al Benton. He's a right-hand hitter. Wide spread eagle stance at the plate and stands very deep. Takes the first pitch, and it's a low fast one on the outside for ball one. I can remember seeing him at the Yankee Stadium this year unload a home run with a bases jam. Detroit was in there on their second trip. This guy can really tee off on that potato. Roy tries a curve on him, and it's good for strike. One and one. This is Zeb V. Eaton. Heading here in the fourth inning for Benton. Means we'll have another Detroit pitcher to start the top of the fifth inning. Roy comes down with the next pitch, and Eaton swings on it. Foul tips it. Boy, that Eaton was really going after it, too. He swung from the spikes up. One ball, two strikes. That's a count on Zeb Eaton. He's batting for Al Benton here in the last half of the fourth inning with one away and runners at first and second. York at second and Outlaw at first. Eaton calls for time and backs away from the plate. He decides that Hank Broy is taking too much time out on that mound. The outfield is playing straight away to Eaton. 
Down comes the next pitch. Zeb swings on it and misses for strike three. So that's the second strikeout here in the last half of the fourth inning. That's strikeout number three for Boy. And he got one just when he needed it. About an hour is Skeeter Webb, the shortstop. Jimmy came up in the first inning, got a single to left. And in the third inning, Phil Cavaretta robbed him of a base hit by knocking his attempted line drive bid down behind first base. Throwing him out to Boy Cover. So Webb has one for two. Right-hand hitter. Roy tries the first pitch on him, and Webb swings on it, and there's a high infield pop-up down back of the mound. Stanley Hack goes over, calls for it, and he's got it for the out. And that's all for Webb, hitting a high infield pop-up. So in the fourth inning for the Tigers, no runs, one hit, two men left, and there were no Chicago errors. So at the end of four full innings of play, the score still stands, Chicago seven, and Detroit nothing. Well, for a rousing time... Get your friends together Friday nights and enjoy a corking good scrap on Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports. Yes, for the major boxing event of the week, every week, the year-round, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports Friday nights. Consult your newspaper for local station and time. Now it's going to be the top of the fifth inning here, the first game of the 1945 World Series at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. And it looks as though we may have uh, Tobin coming into this ball game for Detroit. Yes, it is Tobin. Tobin has just been announced over the public address system. Old Flutterball Jim is coming into the ball game. He was acquired, you know, by the Detroit Tigers very late in the season, waivers from the Boston Braves. And Tobin has been quite effective in spots for Detroit, and he's coming into this ball game. As a matter of fact, last night, Jim Tobin said he wasn't uh, going to be too disappointed if he didn't get a chance to get into the World Series for Detroit, but there's old Jim out in the mound right now. But Tobin is coming in to pitch. As far as uh, Tobin is concerned with the Detroit Tigers this year, he has been in uh, 17 games, and he's got himself a record of four wins and five losses just with the Detroit Tigers. That's not counting his record with Boston. So he's coming in here, Jim Tobin. Flutter ball right-hander. He's going to do the pitching here in the fifth inning. First man he'll face here in the fifth inning is Peanuts Larry. And let's see what Peanuts has done so far today. Harry came up in the first inning and a fly ball to center field as a result. He sacrificed successfully in the third, so Larry is actually coming up for his second official at-bat. Lowry hitting right-handed, and Tobin tries a sidearm delivery on him and gets it in there for a strike. First ball, Tobin throws. The medium-speed curve. Jim pumps once, twists, throws a sidearm delivery that's hit down to shortstop. Webb comes up nicely with it. There's his throw over to Rudy York at first, and that's all for Lowry. Going out from short to first, six to three. The batter now is Phil Cavaretta. Cavaretta's had himself two straight hits. Got himself a single in the first inning, back through the middle, and uh, then in the third inning, he pumped one in the center field. Tobin throws to this left-handed hitter, and there's a comeback ball. Cabaretta hits right back to the mound. Tobin grabs it, fires to first, and that's all for Cabaretta. Going out one to three. The batter now is Andy Pafko. The center fielder for Chicago was walked in the first inning. In the third inning, got himself a very sharp line drive double in the left center field. 
Tobin takes his sign from Richards, delivers the plate, and it's a slow curve that is just under the knees of Pafko for ball one. Side on delivery. Crossfire is outside. It's ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two outs, top of the fifth. This is Tobin pitching for Detroit. A side on delivery is hit this time through the hole between short and third, not into left field. Andy Path goes on with a single. So with two away, Path goes singles in the left. That gives him two for two this afternoon. That's hit number one off Tobin. Number 10, as far as Detroit is concerned, or as far as Chicago's concerned off the Detroit pitching. Now here's Bill Nicholson, who's triple in the first inning. Really changed the complexion of this ball game. Bill, left-hand hitter, swings on the first pitch, and the result is a high foul ball up to the right of the plate. Richards under it, and he's got it for the out. And that's all for Chicago here in the top of the fifth inning. As they go down with no runs, one hit. One man left, and there were no errors. So the score at the end of four and a half innings of play is Chicago seven, and Detroit nothing. Well, here's news, great news for you fellows who have said you would give your eye teeth for one of those pre-war, easy-shaving Gillette Tech razors. Yes, thanks to the atomic bomb and plenty more, the famous Gillette Tech is coming back again on dealer's counters all over the country. Your dealer may have one today, tomorrow, or next week. So keep an eye peeled for the Gillette Tech razor you and plenty of other fellows in town have been waiting for. It's on the way with all-metal gold-plated head, plus five super-keen Gillette blue blades at the popular pre-war price of only 49 cents. What shaves you get, how quick, how easy, how smooth and refreshing. Yes, happy shaves are here again. Ask your dealer for your Gillette Tech Razor with five perfect shaving Gillette blue blades at 49 cents. Well now, ladies and gentlemen, I've had an awful lot of fun doing this first four and a half innings. But a fellow I consider to be one of the finest friends I've ever had, with my associate all year long, is Colonel Bill Slater, who will bring us the last portion of this ball game play-by-play. -play. All right, Bill, go get him. Thank you, Al Halfa. The first batter up for the Tigers here in the last of the fifth is going to be Eddie Mayo, their second baseman. Eddie hits left-handed, and he's had one hit out of two times up. Stands pretty deep in the batter's box, takes a look out at Hank Baroy on the mound, and Baroy gets ready to pitch to him. Here's that smooth wind-up, and the pitch comes in low for ball one. One and oh, the count on Mayo. Mayo lives in Clifton, New Jersey, and Baroy lives in Bloomfield, New Jersey, so you've got a couple of New Jersey residents going at it here now. Mayo takes again. Again, it's low. Ball two. Two and oh on Mayo. Baroy, who's pale-faced, doesn't look too athletic, delivers, and it was good. Mayo was doing some fancy doodling, running up in the batter's box there, trying to up-dump Mr. Baroy's aplomb, but it didn't succeed. That's a strike. Two balls, one strike. Here's the pitch. Mayo swings on it, hits it through the hole between third and short. It rolls out into left field for the popular second baseman. And as the ball is muffed out there, he starts for second, but goes back to first when Peanuts Lowry picks it up and whips it back in. So it's a single for Eddie Mayo. And off Hank Baroy, that is hit number four. And now the Detroit fans, with their team trailing, seven for Chicago to nothing for Detroit, steam things up a little bit as another New Jersey gentleman steps in there. That's Duff Kramer, the center fielder who hits left-handed. There's a throw over to first. Mayo has to slide to get back, but he does. Kramer hit into a double play in the first inning, and he walked back in the third inning. There's the pitch to him. It's in close, and he pulls that left shin of his out of the way, but quickly. 
That's a ball. 1-0 the count on Kramer. And now a round of rhythmic clapping starts through the high stands of Briggs Stadium. As these Detroit Tiger fans, somewhat subdued, want their crowd to get going. Here's the pitch. It's inside. Ball two to Duck Kramer. Kramer, a grand old veteran, has hit more than 2,500 hits in his time. This is his 17th year in Major League Baseball. Here comes the pitch. Kramer swings on it. There's a pop-up coming foul off to the left of the plate. Thompson Livingston is under it, and he's got it for the out. Mayo hangs on at first. That's one away for Detroit in the last of the fifth, and here comes Captain Hank Greenberg. One of the great figures of this great American sport. He came back not long ago, as you all know, from the Army Air Forces after spending over four years in the service. He served in Europe, the Mediterranean Theater, out in the CBI Theater, China, Burma, India, as a captain in the Air Forces, and he served with complete distinction all the way along. Big right-handed hitter, he comes from the Bronx. Here's the pitch to him inside, and Hank backs up away from it. Greenberg has gotten on both times he's been up. He was walked in the first inning and hit by the pitch in the third. That's not the Greenberg fashion. He likes to slug him out. Roy works. Greenberg takes. It was good. Curveball. Caught the outside corner. One ball, one strike now on Hank Greenberg. Greenberg is big. He stands 6'4", and he weighs 215. He's a big man. Big right-handed batter. Roy pitches to him. Greenberg swings on it. Slaps it out of the center field. She's falling in for a hit. Pasco fields it on the first bounce. Whips the throw toward third. Here's Mayo heading for third. And Mayo is out. Going in head first. That Pafko's got an arm. Greenberg is at first with a single to center. But Mayo, trying to go all the way from first to third on the blow, is thrown out by Andy Pafko. So that makes it two out. Mayo came sliding in head first with his chin almost scooping up the dirt down there. Now the batter with two away and Greenberg on at first is Roy Cullenby. He's bats left-handed against right-handed pitching. He's a switch hitter, but he's a little bit more powerful hitting left-handed. Cullenby has walked and popped out to the second baseman in two previous times. Up swings on one. There's a looping fly ball going into center field. Pafko is to his left, and he takes it on the run for the out. And that's all for Detroit in the last of the fifth. So the last of the fifth inning for Detroit brings no runs, two hits, one base runner left on, and there were no Chicago Cub errors. At the end of five full innings of play in this ball game, the score is Chicago 7, Detroit nothing. As a matter of fact, that 7 to nothing score, combined with the frigid atmosphere that we've got here this afternoon, makes a person think of football. It's a very clear and very pretty afternoon, despite the fact we've had threatening weather up to today's first game of the 45 World Series. And you look off into the distance there, and as far as your eye can see, stretch the skyscraper towers of this great city of Detroit. And up above them in the blue sky are little white fleecy cumulus clouds. I guess that's the kind they are. Well, we're ready for inning number six. Out there on the mound is Flutterball Jim Tobin. He's an Oakland, California product. And as you all know, he had a long career in the National League before he came over here to the Tigers. Just past the middle of the season, being waved out of the National League. And as Bill Corum told you earlier in this uh, Cavalcade of Sports broadcast, Tobin is the kind of slow ball, clever, crafty, flutterball pitcher that has always tied up these Cubs. The Cubs can hit speed. And that was demonstrated early in the ball game when they hit Hal Neuhauser. 
Now the first cub up is Mickey Livingston, the catcher. He's had two singles to center field, and twice he's been thrown out trying to steal second. He hits right-handed. Swings on that one. There's a fly ball going into left center field. Over to his right now is Doc Kramer, and he got it for the out. So that's all for Mr. Livingston. One away, and here comes Roy Hughes, the shortstop. Hughes is another right-handed batter. He struck out his first time up in inning number two, and he flied out to center field in the fourth inning. They call him Whispering Roy. He talks so confidentially. Pitch to Whispering Roy is good for a called strike. Old Jim Tobin at 33 is a crafty customer. There's another pitch that's just inside. Tobin uses the very minimum of energy on every pitch. He takes it easy all the way. Levickson takes. That's ball two. The curveball low and outside to the right-handed batter. It's Hughes, rather, who takes. I beg your pardon. Two balls, one strike on Mr. Hughes. Now there are two strikes on him. There was a fastball just below the shoulders. It nipped the outside corner. Two balls, two strikes on Hughes. Tobin gets ready. Delivers sidearm just outside. That's a full count. Three balls, two strikes. And the string, she runs out. Three and two count. One out, nobody on, top of the sixth. Chicago in front, seven to nothing. Hughes leans away from that one, and that will be ball four, and off he goes to first. Chicago bat boy down there, little Jimmy Shalikis, C-H-A-L-I-K-I-S, 17-year-old kid who's very proud of being the Chicago bat boy. He takes the bat away from Hughes. Hughes trots off the first, and there's a round of applause through the crowd here, even from some of the Detroit rooters, for Hank Baroy. The Fordham University graduate who has been pitching such splendid ball here this afternoon. Boy, Broy has been very sharp and very keen. He's not the only sharp and keen thing I can think of. Broy bats right-handed. There's a throw over to first. Hughes has to hurry to get himself back. Owen gets ready to pitch to Broy now. Sidearms it in there. Hank attempts to bunt it, and it goes foul. There's a complete play made on it, however. As Paul Richards, the Tiger catcher, went down that first baseline, grabbed it. But Bill Summers practically exploded as he yelled foul. Bill Summers is a plate umpire, and he's a very decisive fellow. He shouts and hoops and hollers and makes faces. That makes the strike on Baroy. Hughes is still at first. Tobin delivers. Baroy attempts to bunt this time. It's successful. It's down to third. Outlaw has the ball. Throws over to first where Eddie Mayo is covering. And the sacrifice works, moving Hughes to second. Roy is out, five to four. Man on at second now with two away, and the batter coming up is Stanley Hack, the third baseman. Hack grounded out his first time up in the first inning, struck out in the second. Got a Baltimore chop hit back toward the mound in the fourth inning. Hack bats left-handed. And there he is with that perpetual smile he always wears. Takes a pitch outside for ball one. Roy Hughes leading off second. Jim Tobin getting ready to go. Pitches sidearm. Ball two. Just didn't quite make the outside corner for which it was intended by Tobin. Outfield plays hack straight away despite the fact he's a left-handed hitter. He doesn't pull too much. Pitch is swung on. There's a ground ball down towards second. Eddie Mayo scoops it up and throws Mr. Hack out. Out five to three. So in the top of the sixth inning, no runs for Chicago. 
four to three rather was that out on Mr. Hack. No runs for Chicago. There were no hits. There was a base runner left on, and there were no Detroit Tiger errors. The score is Chicago seven, Detroit nothing. Tiger pitcher Hal Newhauser, who didn't have such good luck this afternoon, faced plenty of tough customers, however, while hanging up 212 strikeouts this season to lead all major league moundsmen. Men, do you realize, however, that you have to fan out some 15,000 rugged customers, every one tough as copper wire, every time you pitch in and shave off those whiskers of yours? Well, that's the fact, for a dry whisker actually is as tough as copper wire, and you have a grandstand full of them on your face every morning. So get hep to Gillette Lather Shaving Cream and put the hex on wiry stubble. It's water, you know. Water and plenty of it that does the trick. And water is what Gillette Lather holds a barrel of. In fact, Gillette Shaving Cream produces a sponge-like lather that releases moisture freely, soaking and softening whiskers in a big hurry. So for real shaving luxury, get Gillette Lather Shaving Cream, just a quarter. More dealers are getting more Gillette Shaving Cream day by day. And now the last half of inning number six, with Chicago leading seven to nothing. And the tremendous throng of Detroit rooters out here, somewhat subdued and very quiet. First batter up for the Tigers will be Big Rudy York, a big right-handed hitter. Rudy hasn't hit today. Takes the first pitch from Roy High for ball one. One and oh, the count on Rudolph Preston York of Georgia, Cartersville to be exact. York swings, misses. Strike one. One ball, one strike on Rudy. Rudy is 0 for 1 today, fouled out in the first inning, walked in the fourth. Baroy in that smooth wind-up delivers. York swings on it, slaps it out toward left field. There goes Lowry for it. He can't come up with it. It rolls out almost to the runway there, but Lowry fielding it very rapidly holds York to first with a single. That was a long, cold single to left center field. So the Tigers lead off with a hit here in the last of the sixth inning, and hope springs eternal in the breast of the Tiger fans here. Seven to nothing, Chicago leads. I wouldn't go away if I were listening, because as a matter of fact, everybody knows these Tigers are an explosive outfit, and anything can happen. Little Jimmy Outlaw, the third baseman, is the batter now. He hits right-handed. He's one for two. Nobody out, York at first. Pitched Outlaw, a little too high, ball one. Outlaw's a Tennessee gentleman. Went to college at Alabama Polytechnic, Auburn. Little fella hits right-handed. Roy looks at first, pitches to the batter. Outlaw takes it. It's a call strike. Fast curve ball just above the knees to Jimmy. Outfield plays Outlaw straight away. Not too deep. Pitch to him is fouled off into the stands behind the catcher. Strike two. One and two to count. <laughs> and there is the usual good-natured scramble in the stands for that ball. That one was won by a gentleman who promptly handed it over to the lady who was accompanying him. Everybody approves. One and two is the count on Outlaw. York with a single is on at first. Nobody out. Here's the pitch. Jimmy swings on it. There's a ground ball to hack down at third. The play is at second. That gets York to play on to first. Is not in time. As you, as you were at second. The second baseman stepped off the bag, and York is held on. So it's a fielder's choice for Outlaw. He's on, and York is at second. Second baseman, Johnson, handling that ball, thrown to him by Stanley Hack. Pulled his foot off.
And Rudy York sliding in was a judge safe. As the umpire down there, Art Passarella at second, watched it. And when he saw that foot come off, changed the sign. Now they're running at first and second. And here's Paul Richards up. First pitch to Richards, the right-handed hitter is outside for ball one. Here comes the pitch to Richards. He takes it, it's down low for ball two. And the Tigers here in the last of the sixth, as in the last of the fourth, have two men on with nobody out. There's no error on that last play on the second baseman, Don Johnson. Here's the pitch to Richards. Good. Call strike. Fast and above the knees on the inside corner. Two balls, one strike on Paul Richards. The Tiger catching. Richards has walked once and struck out once. Pitch to him is swung on. There's a fly ball into short to center field. In comes Andy Pafko, shielding his eyes from the sun, and he's got it for the out. York goes back to second, and Outlaw goes back to first. Now Jim Tobin is scheduled to hit next. But I think we may have a pinch hitter. I'm not sure. No, nope. Tobin's going to hit for himself. So apparently manager Steve O'Neill is going to keep the slow ball pitcher in there. Jim, incidentally, is a pretty fair hitter as far as that goes. Don't think he's not. Now there's a bit of a conference halfway between the mound and third base between Thompson Livingston, Hank Roy, Stan Hack, and the shortstop Roy Hughes. That's broken up now. And Roy gets ready to pitch to Jim Tobin. Tobin bats right-handed. One out, runners first and second. Roy pitches, and there's a blooper going back to second base. It's taken back there by the second baseman, Don Johnson, and York gets back to second and outlaw back to first in time. That makes it two out for Detroit here in the last of the sixth. It brings up their leadoff hitter, Skeeter Webb. Skeeter's a right-handed batter. He has one for three in this ball game. He's starting the fourth batting around for the Detroit Tigers. Webb is the son-in-law of the manager, Steve O'Neill. He's a Mississippi chap. Calling Skeeter because he's uh, little and Skeeter-like. Pitch to him is outside for ball one. Matter of fact, Webb stands only 5'9". He weighs only 150 pounds. Want to know the count. Roy works. Webb takes. It's a strike. One ball, one strike to count. Now Fordham Hank Roy stretches, delivers, Webb swings, foul tips it. Strike two. One ball, two strikes. Skeeter Webb played five years for Chicago, but it was the Chicago White Sox, not the Chicago Cubs against whom he's playing today. Manager Steve O'Neill, Skeeter's father-in-law, is coaching down at third, of course, as usual. Art Mills, coach at first. Roy taking lots of time now, just standing silently and without moving out there on the mound. Hank has a lot of things to uh, think about these days. His wife isn't out here at the series. She's back home in New Jersey. They're expecting a baby. Now Bill Summers comes out and dusts off the plate down there. Says to the boys, come on, let's go. One ball, two strikes to count on Webb. Two out and two on for Detroit in the last of the sixth. Roy works. Webb takes. It's high. Ball two. Now Bill Summers, the plate umpire, puts a new ball in play, and he flips it out to the mound himself. 
Leroy rubs it up. Takes a hitch in his britches. It's ready to pitch. Two and two the count. Here it comes. Webb takes. Ball three. Now it's a full count. Two out. Those base runners will probably be up on their horses galloping. Roy studies a long time now. Gets ready. Here's the three and two pitch. It's swung on and it's hit down towards second base. Scooped up by Johnson. The throw to first is in time. So Webb goes down four to three. And in the last of the sixth inning, no runs for Detroit. One hit, two base runners left on, and there were no Chicago errors. As a matter of fact, there have been no errors in this ball game uh, as yet at all. No fielding errors. It was one pass ball. So as we head for inning number seven, coming up for Chicago, Johnson, Lowry, and Cavaretta, the score is seven to nothing. But before we get into that, let's pause here ten seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Don Johnson is going to lead off for the Cubs in the top of the seventh. Don has been pretty poisonous this afternoon. He got a single in the first inning, a double in the third. He scored two runs. He was out on a ground ball down to third baseman outlaw. His last time up in the fourth inning. Johnson bats right-handed. Pitch to him is inside. Ball one. We said earlier that this Don Johnson came from Los Angeles. I think to be technically accurate, he lives in Laguna Beach in California. There's a strike on him. Tobin got the outside corner with one of those curves of his. One ball, one strike. Johnson takes it. It's just inside. Paul Richards, the catcher for Detroit, sort of showed by the motions of his body he didn't approve of that decision. Two balls, one strike on Don Johnson. Now it's two balls and two strikes because Johnson looked at one that curved over the outside corner. Johnson's father was a major league ball player, Ernie Johnson. He played with the White Sox and the Yankees. So this fellow knows baseball from way back. Swings on one. There's a fly ball going into left field. In quickly comes Greenberg. Back goes the shortstop. Webb and Webb is under it for the out. So Johnson flies out. Skeeter Webb the shortstop about 15 yards back in short left field. That's one away for Chicago in the top of the seventh inning. Here comes Peanuts Lowry. Lowry hasn't hit in two official times up. He sacrificed back in the third inning. Takes the first pitch from Tobin High for ball one. Lowry is dark complexion. He bats right-handed. He looks like Fred McMurray, as a matter of fact. One and oh, the count on peanuts. Tobin delivers. Now it's two and oh. Ball two, that was. It was outside. Lowry, when he was in the Army, served as an MP. He's a military policeman. Lowry swings on one. There's a fly ball going out to center field. Doc Kramer turns around, goes way back, and running away out there, he takes it for the out. Two away for Chicago, top of the seventh. Now here comes Phil Cavaretta, the star first baseman of the Cubs. Phil bats left-handed, and he's gone two for three today and scored two runs. Drove in a run. Charlie Grimm calls him Philly Buck. Charlie has a nickname for everybody. Here's the pitch. It's outside. Ball one on Cavaretta. Cavaretta stands very deep in the batter's box. As a matter of fact, that left foot of his is almost out of the box. 
back toward the catcher. Tobin pitches. It's swung on by Cabaretta. There's a towering fly ball deep into right field. Back goes Cullen by. Back against the wall, and he cannot get it. It is a home run for Mr. Cabaretta. And Cabaretta is a Chicago man, and he's trotting around those bases. That's the first home run of the series, of course. Not too much of a roar from the Detroit crowd. But that is run number eight, and Cavaretta slugged that ball far back over the head of Roy Cullenbein. It landed against the boards out there, separating the first from the second tier, and of course that's a home run. It's a beauty, too, as a matter of fact. Now the score is eight to nothing. The next batter up is Papko. Papko hits one to the left of the shortstop, right out into center field. And he is on, and for Papko, that is his third hit out of three official times up in this ballgame. So the kid from Boyceville, Wisconsin, is very hot today. He hit the very first pitch that Tobin flipped in there on him. Now here's bad Bill Nicholson batting left-handed, the slugger type. Here's the pitch to him. Papko is breaking for second. There's the throw down. Papko slides in head first, and he is safe. The throw went down to Skeeter Webb. It's a stolen base for Mr. Papko. That, I believe, is the second stolen base by the Cubs in this ball game. They lead eight to nothing. Big Bill takes one inside. It bounces away into the dirt away from Richards. Here's Papko coming down to third. Takes a turn and Charlie Grimm holds him up. We'll get the scoring on that in just a minute. I think it'll be a wild pitch. It's a pass ball. Pass ball charged Paul Richards and that's two against Paul today. That's not like Mr. Richards because I think he only had three pass balls the whole season. But two here in the World Series. Now the count on Nicholson, the batter, hitting left-handed is 2-0. Nicholson swings on that one. It's a clean head out into right field. Cullenbine is fielding it. Of course, Pafko trots in easily from third with run number nine. Now the batter is going to be Mickey Livingston. Now after Tobin came in and got off giving only one hit in innings number five and number six, the Cubs have teed off on him with a home run and two singles with two out. Scored two runs to make it nine to nothing. And the batter up there is Mickey Livingston. He swings on the first one. There's a grounding ball. It's taken on the first hop by Webb, and he throws Livingston out. So the Cubs are finally out of there in the top of the seventh inning. Two runs for them on three hits. There was one base runner left on, and there were no fielding errors. So the score, as we head for the last of the seventh, is Chicago nine, Detroit nothing. Record-smashing Mel Ott, the player-manager of the New York Giants, the only major leaguer ever to play 20 years with the same team, has just stepped into our broadcasting booth. Mel, tell the fans what you always do right after a game, please. That's easy, Bill. It's a shower and a Gillette shave for me. Did you say a Gillette shave? Yes, I said a Gillette shave with a Gillette blue blade and my Gillette razor. No kidding. That's a combination for shaves that give you a lift. For my money, it's a Gillette blue blade every time. Well, thank you a lot, Mel Ott. There you are, fans. For shaves that are shaves, use the blade that's precision-made for your Gillette razor. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now we're ready for the home half of the seventh inning. And the first batter up for the Tigers who trail in this ballgame, Chicago leading 9 to nothing, is going to be Eddie Mayo, who led off in inning number five. Mayo has two hits out of three times up. Hank Baroy, pitching a splendid ball game. He's given up six hits, kept them pretty well scattered, and he's been very tight in what pinches he has encountered. Fordham Hank, blonde, and 
palish by complexion. Up to this point, the box score is nine runs, 13 hits for Chicago, no errors, no runs, six hits, and no errors for Detroit. Now Mayo digs in, batting left-handed. Eddie's had a lot of trouble with his eyes in his baseball career, but holding up all right now. If you just tuned in, Mayo's the first man up in the last of the seventh. Cubs lead the Tigers nine to nothing. Mayo swings on that one. It's a ground ball to the left of the second baseman, and it's beautifully fielded, and the throw to Cabarrota is in time. And that Don Johnson at 34 years of age looked beautiful on that. That ball was ticketed for the hole between first and second base, but not in the mind of Mr. Johnson. He went scudding over there to his left, scooped the thing up with one hand, and flipped his throw over to Phil Cabarrota. That got Mayo. He's out four to three. Now here's Doc Kramer. Kramer has been up officially two times. He was walked once, and he hasn't hit yet today. Roy pitches him overhand. Kramer swings on it. There's a blooper going up back to shortstop. Back goes the shortstop, and he's under it for the out. Kramer pops out to Roy Hughes, the Chicago shortstop. That's two away in the last of the seventh, and here's Hank Greenberg. Greenberg got a hit his last time up. The other two times, he was walked and hit by the pitch. Greenberg, a right-handed batter who crowds the plate just a little and stands almost straight up. Roy pitches him. It's good for a called strike. Fast one, midway between the waist and knees, whipping right over that. And the wind is whipping right over everybody and half freezing us. Roy works again. It's swung on and missed, and Greenberg almost falls down, losing his balance on that terrific swing. Two strikes. Hank Broy up to this point has just been too sharp for them. Here's the pitch to Greenberg very close to his left shoulder. He twists out of the way. Ball one. Two out, nobody on. Last half of the seventh inning. Broy works overhand. Greenberg swings, misses, strikes out. And for Broy, that is just his fourth strikeout in this ball game. But he's had him hitting them where they is. So in the last of the seventh, nothing across for Detroit. And at the end of seven full innings of play, Chicago leads Detroit by a score of nine to nothing. Well, when this game ends this afternoon, stay tuned for Bill Corum, famous columnist of the New York Journal American Sports Staff. Hear a great reporter highlight today's baseball classic. And Bill is going to have a lot to say, believe you me. If the Cubs win this ball game, this will be the first time since 1936 when Carl Hubble beat the uh, Yankees with red roughing pitching six to one that the National League has taken the first ball game in the World Series. But whether the Cubs are going to win or not, something that remains to be seen. I think in the uh, top of the eighth inning here, we're going to have another Detroit pitcher. There has been a parade of Detroit pitchers this afternoon. Hal Newhouser, as you know, started. Al Benton came on in the third and Jim Tobin came on in the fifth inning. And now we're going to have another one. It looks like Les Mueller, but I'm not sure. Of course, that was a very, very bitter pill for young Hal Newhauser to swallow right here at home this afternoon, because Newhauser is the greatest lefty in the business. And he came out here to pitch this afternoon, and these Cubs teed off on him right off the bat. They got four runs and four hits off of him in the very first inning. And as you all know, Newhauser is a Detroit boy. He was born, bred, and brought up here and lives here. And to get bashed out of the box in his first World Series appearance right here at home is a bitter experience for a youngster. 
But he'll undoubtedly recover, and I've got a sneaking hunch we'll see a lot of Newhouser before this World Series is over. This man coming in is Les Mueller. Mueller is a discharged GI who this season has won six and lost eight. Leslie Mueller, he was discharged on account of migraine headaches. He's out there taking his warm-up pitches now, and I'm trying to see whether he wears his glasses or not. Yep, he's got his specs on today. Mueller's a big right-hander. Stands 6'3", weighs around 190 pounds. Comes from Belleville, Illinois. He's 26 year older. And as we told you, he's a discharged army man. So everybody is sort of quiet here while Les Mueller, the fourth Tiger pitcher in this ball game, completes his warm-up pitches and the Cubs get ready to come up here in the top of the eighth inning. Everybody I said is quiet. That does not apply to my teeth, which are doing a pretty good job of chattering. Mueller is the fellow, you know, who won all that fame back in that long one-to-one uh, -one thriller in Philadelphia on the 21st of July of this season. He pitched 19 two-thirds innings of the 24 innings that were played in that record game. So that's the boy who's going out there now with his specs on, former soldier, and the first man he's going to pitch to is Whispering Roy Hughes. Hughes, a right-handed batter, hasn't hit today. Mueller delivers a fast call strike to Mr. Hughes. Hughes hits right-handed. He wears a big number 23 on his back. Sidearm pitch is inside. Ball one. One ball, one strike on Roy Hughes. Hughes will be followed by Baroy and then by Stanley Hack. Mueller winds up, delivers sidearm. It's swung on and hit foul down the left field line. Strike two. One ball, two strikes as the crowd gets steamed up by a nice catch made over there in the stand. Coaching down at first for the Cubs is Roy Johnson, old hard rock, and of course, Jolly Charlie himself is coaching at third. That's grim. Here's the pitch to Hughes. He leans away from it. It's a little too far inside. Ball two. Two balls, two strikes. Nine to nothing the score if you just joined us. Chicago in front. Mueller works sidearm. It's swung on and missed by Hughes. Mueller strikes out the first man he pitches to. One away for Chicago in the top of the eighth. Here comes Baroy. Baroy is certainly adding to his luster here today. In his major league career, he won 56 games and lost 30, and as most of you know, the big end of his career was spent with the New York Yankees. He came on to Chicago in that sensational deal this year when Baroy came in and returned for $70,000 and some Cub players yet to be delivered to the Yankees. Steps up there, batting right-handed as Broy swings on that one, fouls it off. Strike one. Hank is a quiet, very likable fella. As we told you, he's rather pale in complexion. He doesn't look too athletic, but he is. Second baseman is playing back on the grass. Back of second. Broy swings on that one, slaps it out towards center field. There's Doc Kramer under it now, and he takes it for the out. That's out number two in the top of the eighth inning. away nobody on here comes Stanley Hack Hack comes up and he chats a little bit with Paul Richards he's an inveterate visitor as we've told you everybody calls him smiling Stan he's always smiling always chatting with somebody that's left-handed Mueller working Hack swings on it slaps it out toward left field there goes Kramer for it and Kramer running swiftly to his right takes it right in front of Greenberg so that's all for Chicago in the top of the eighth inning. Nothing across for them. And the scores, we go into the last half of the eighth inning 
is Chicago 9, Detroit nothing. Back during that seventh inning stretch, it was record-breaking Mel Ott, the manager of the New York Giants, who said that for his money, it's today's Gillette Blue Blade every time. Yes, sir. And let me add that in the Army, in the Navy, on land, on the sea, and in the air, it's today's Gillette Blue Blade by the greatest odds in shaving history. Naturally show. so. For the Gillette Blue Blade and the Gillette Razor are made for each other in the same factory by the same skilled craftsmen to the same high-precision standards. Yes, today's Gillette Blue Blade and your Gillette Razor are the perfectly matched shaving combination. They fit exactly, work together beautifully, and turn in the sweetest performance known in shaving. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now the last half of the eighth inning here at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. And the embattled Detroit Tigers, who trail Chicago leading them nine to nothing are going to be moving in there to see if anything at all can be salvaged from this ball game. First batter will be Big Roy Cullenbein. Cullenbein today has walked once, and then the other two times he's lifted the ball up in the air, and the Chicago men have run under it and caught it. So he hasn't hit. That's from a very wide stance. He has his feet wide spread apart, and he's a husky guy. Pitch to him is a call strike. Curveball that nipped the inside corner waist high. Colin Bynes is from Tennessee. Swings on that one. There's a fly ball going into deep center field. Back goes Pafko. Back, back on the run. He takes it for the out. That Pafko is a handy little fellow to have around out there. One away for Detroit in the last of the eighth. Now here's Rudy York. Rudy fouled out, walked, and got a hit. Three previous times he's appeared at the plate. Old Kickapoo with that broad back of his steps up there, hitting right-handed, sticks his jaw out at Roy. Roy pitches him. It's high, ball one. York is the slugger type. Big man that hits a long ball. Takes it, ball two. That was a three-quarter speed curve ball that was outside to the right-handed batter. Roy winds up, delivers. It's swung on. There's a high foul going into the stands opposite first base. In fact, it lands on the roof and bounces out of the park. Two balls, one strike. The count on Rudy York. Roy works. Here it is. York swings on it. There's a high one down the left field line. Over comes Peanuts Lowry over near the line. He's under it, and finally it comes down, and he takes it. That's two out for Detroit. Nobody on. Here's Jimmy Outlaw. Outlaw's had one hit, a single to right, in three times up. That's right-handed. Outlaw's a very mild fella. Never been thrown out of a baseball game in his life. Roy pitches him high, ball one. Outlaw's got a four-year-old kid named Perry. Very proud of him, and I think that goes for little Perry, too. Jimmy takes. It's good. Fastball just under the shoulders to Outlaw. One ball, one strike. Two out, nobody on, last of the eighth. Roy works. Outlaw swings on it. A foul goes into the stands opposite first base. One ball, two strikes. That's right up behind the dugout of the Cubs. 
the visitors, which is down the first baseline. Now Broy comes in overhand. It's high. Ball two. Two and two on Outlaw. Broy in a big windup. Pitches. Outlaw swings on it. There's a foul coming up over toward the stands. Over comes Hack. And he's near the boxes, and he takes it, leaning up against the boxes there. So Hack grabbed it, and that's all for Detroit in the last of the eighth. Outlaw fouling out to his opposing third baseman. Nothing across for Detroit. At the end of eight full innings of play, the score is Chicago 9, Detroit nothing. And here's the box score. Chicago 9 runs, 13 hits, no errors. Detroit, no runs, 6 hits, likewise no errors. You know you can't afford to miss Bill Corum's highlights of today's game, so stay tuned in when the game is over and hear a great reporter do his stuff right off the cuff just as soon as that last man is out. And now before we get into this big ninth inning, let's pause 10 seconds here for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Well, in this ball game, as Al just points out to me, a very interesting little statistic is that in the first eight innings, Chicago has only had four men left on bases. Detroit, on the other hand, has had ten men left on bases. So the Tigers have been able to get them on somewhat, but they haven't been able to bring them in. Chicago, on the other hand, has wasted very few scoring opportunities this afternoon. They have hit when it counted and very timely hitting it has been. Now for Chicago, Don Johnson's the first batter up in the top of the ninth. Mueller delivers sidearm to him, and it's high for ball one. Mueller set the Cubs down in order in the top of the eighth. Let's see what he can do now. Works sidearm again. It's inside. Ball two. Two and all on Don Johnson. Mueller pitches. Johnson takes a call strike. A curve ball comes over just below the waist. Two balls, one strike. Here it is, inside, ball three. Very close to the inside corner. This guy Johnson has played with Milwaukee, Sacramento, Tulsa, Hollywood, Seattle. But he's a Cub now. Got hurt down in Cincinnati, but he's all right. Swings on this one, there's a foul coming up. Back comes the uh, catcher, Paul Richards. He's under it, and he's got it for the out. It's all for Johnson. One away for Chicago in the top of the ninth. Here's Peanuts Lowry stepping up. And uh, Peanuts, uh, although he's not very big, is not called Peanuts because he's so little necessarily. His uncle is said to have taken a look at him the day after he was born and called him a little Peanut, and he's been Peanuts ever since. First pitch to him is pretty close, and he has to get himself out of the way of it, but quickly. Ball one on Peanuts Lowry. He's a Californian. Mueller pitches. Low and inside. Ball two. This is Lowry's fourth official time up. He hasn't hit yet. Here it comes. He takes. It's high. Three 
3-0 to count on Lowry. L-O-W-R-U-Y. There's the automatic number. Fast one in there. Good. Taken. Strike one. Les Mueller works. It's swung on. Hit hard. Down to the third baseman outlaw who collars it and throws it to York across the diamond in plenty of time. Lowry is out of there. Five to three. Now here comes Phil Cavaretta. Phil is the batting star of the day. Up to this point. He has two singles and a home run in four times up. He's the batting star of the National League this year, of course. Hits left-handed. Crouches over. Takes high. Ball one. Mueller will be pitching with infinite care to this man, Cavaretta. Here it comes. Cavaretta takes it inside. It's pretty close to him. Ball two. Cavaretta has a big 44 on his back. Mueller works. Cavaretta takes ball three. Low and outside. Jolly Charlie Grimm coaching down at third in the World Series is just as interesting, has just as much pantomime and comic stuff as when the regular season is on. There's a strike on Cavaretta. The 3-0 pitch was in there. Makes the count three balls, one strike. Two out and a bunny on top of the ninth. Mueller works. Cavaretta takes it. It's just inside. Ball four and Cavaretta trots off to first. That, of course, is the first walk given up by Mueller. M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Now the batter is Andy Pafko. Pafko's done right smart by himself today, too. Two singles and a double and three official times up. So the kid from Wisconsin is doing his stuff. Right-handed batter. Pitch is swung on. There's a foul coming up off third base. Overcomes uh, Outlaw. And right in front of his own dugout, he makes the catch. That retires the side for Chicago in the top of the ninth inning. No runs, no hits, a base runner left on, Cavaretta at first, and there were no Tiger errors. So, as we come into the last half of the ninth inning, the Tigers are up against it, and this will be Custer's last stand, believe you me. The score is nine to nothing. The last World Series shutout occurred on October 7th, 1940. That's when Bucky Walters of Cincinnati beat Detroit by a score of four to nothing. The day before that, Bobo Newsom had shut out Cincinnati. That was on the 6th of October back in 1940, and old Bobo shut them out 9 to nothing. There have been 46 World Series shutouts in the National League. 28 of them have been hung up, and in the American League, 18. Of course, uh, that's not taking it for granted that this is going to be any uh, shutout at all. But at this particular point, the Chicago Cubs lead the Tigers by a score of 9 to nothing, and Hank Baroy, who's coming out there completing his warm-up pitches, is looking pretty good. There's going to be a pinch hitter come up for Paul Richards. It'll be Chuck Hostetler. Hostetler's a 40-year-older. He broke in the majors last year as a rookie. One of the few 39-year-old rookies in the history of Major League Baseball. Hostetler bats left-handed. Takes a pretty wide stance. And Broy gets ready to go to him. Here's the pitch. Hostetler swings on it. There's a ground ball down to the shortstop. Hughes, the throw over to Cavaretta's in plenty of time. Hostetler is out by three strides. Six to three. Here comes Ed Borum up. B-O-R-O-M. Borum hit 273 for the season. He's another left-handed hitter, of course. He was born in Spartansburg, South Carolina. And like Hostetler, he lives now in Wichita, Kansas. Borum bats left-handed. Sticks that uh, right foot in front of his left one considerably. 
Roy gets ready. Here it comes. It's inside. Ball one. Fordham Hank Baroy in his long career as a pitcher has probably never done a more masterful job than he has pulled off here this afternoon up to this point. Barham takes ball two. Fastball inside. Baroy was a little disgusted about that. He beat his fist into his glove. One out, nobody on, last of the ninth. Here it is. Swings on that one, hits it back past the mound. It's fielded very neatly there by Roy Hughes. The throw to first is in time, and that was a swell play by Mr. Hughes. That Hughes at 34 can move around out there. Now here's Johnny McHale coming in to bat for Skeeter Webb. McHale's another left-handed hitter. He's the Notre Dame basketball star, you know. Big husky fella. An outfielder. There's a pitch to him. He swings on it. There's a fly ball going into center field. Going over under it is Andy Papko. He's under it. He's got it. The ball game is over. Chicago wins. Nine to nothing. In the last of the ninth, nothing across for Detroit. Three pinch hitters. They all went down in order. And the final score of the first game is nine to nothing in favor of Chicago. Chicago, nine runs, 13 hits, no errors, five men left on bases. Chicago, uh, Detroit, no runs, six hits, no errors, 10 men left on bases. So there is your final score. And now Bill Coram, who knows inside baseball, as few reporters do, is elbowing his way through the throng up here to give you the highlights of today's game as he saw them from the press box. But while we're waiting, folks, let's remember that the price of victory has been high. And we haven't begun to pay the bill. That's the reason for the victory loan drive, which begins on October 29th. This drive must succeed. It's vital to our national well-being. It is essential to the peace. In very large measure, the success of this drive will depend upon the wholehearted cooperation of victory volunteers. These are the men and women who give unselfishly of their spare time and effort to put our war loans over the top. Now, Uncle Sam is calling them back to finish the job, and they'll do it, too. So, when Victory Volunteers call upon you during the drive, give them a warm and generous welcome. And now, all set to go with his game highlights, here is Bill Carm again. Bill, what'd you think of it? Well, I thought uh, the Tigers might as well have declared that one forfeit, Bill. Uh, of course, that's the score of forfeited ball games, and that goes back to the beginnings of organized baseball. They decided that the first shutout ever pitched in organized baseball would be the forfeit score, and that was how the Cubs beat the Tigers here today in a game, of course, that wasn't forfeited but wound up with that 9 nothing score. And in case you just tuned in, I'll repeat once more the totals. They're official now. Nine runs, 13 hits, no errors, five men left for the Cubs, no runs, six hits, no left, and no errors for the Tigers. Now, the story of this game was a sad, sad tale as far as Detroit and the American League were concerned of Prince Hal Neuhauser's failure. The storming little bears from the Windy City really clawed Prince Hal in scandalous fashion, and when the slim southpaw and Steve O'Neill's ace, of course, walked dejectedly out of the box after Mickey Livingston singled in the third, the galloping gremlins had seven big runs and eight hits. It was the consensus of the press coop denizens that Roy Cullenbine, even conceding that the strong wind carrying the ball made outfield play difficult, might well have caught what went for Big Swish Nicholson's two-run scoring triple in the first. That was a tough break for the willowy Neuhauser, but even so, Hal just didn't have it on this chilly day. He couldn't zip the zipper on the Cubs' bat bag, in other words. And not having it, Neuhauser has put big Steve O'Neill and the Tigers in a tough spot, at least temporarily. 
Manuka Steve will come in tomorrow with fireball fire trucks. The Birmingham, Alabama smokestack who really pours that little white persimmon. Whitey Lewis, the Cleveland sports scribe, was described, was telling me that he bumped into Bill Dickey, famed catcher of the old-time Yankee champions in the Pacific last winter. And Bill had been catching trucks out there, trucks pitching for his Navy team. And Dickey said that Virgil was one of the fastest and best pitchers he'd ever handled in his long career, which is no faint praise coming from a Bill Dickey. Still, as I pointed out in the pregame broadcast, the Chicago batters dote on fastball pitching, and there is also some question whether Trucks, who came out of the Navy only last week, is quite ready to roll a full nine innings. Still, tomorrow will be time enough to see about that. Of course, Banjo Charlie Grimm is going to have to have a pitcher for tomorrow, too. But a word to the wise about that will be enough. For it'll be Hank Wise, having one with one Hank, Baroy, Grimm apparently figures that Hanks are just what the doctor ordered. In other words, if I may borrow just a little from Kipling, Charlie seems to be seems to plan on beating the Bengals with a rag, a bone, and a hank. But we mustn't forget that the Cats have a hank of their own, Greenberg, not to mention a championship ball team, and they may very well have something to say about that in the second game tomorrow afternoon. In this menagerie of Tigers and Cubs, it was the old Fordham Ram, Baroy, who held the whip hand in this first game of the 43rd World Series. Hank's a smart pitcher with a variety of stuff, and he had it all today, including the noodle. The uh, cab driver that I came out here with insisted on calling Baroy Baroy, and I told him no, that the name properly pronounced was Baroy. He says, I want to keep on calling it Baroy. Didn't Gallagher borrow him from McPhail? Which he did. And by the way, that fellow Zeb Eaton, who hit for the Tigers as a pitch hitter this afternoon, was one of the fellows that helped send Baroy to the Cubs when he hit a grand slam home run against him in the Yankee Stadium during the regular season. McPhail saw that, and it soured him a little bit on Hank. Well, Rudy York's single, another highlight of the game, that started the Tigers off to what looked to be one of their best threats in the sixth inning, must have been one of the longest singles ever hit in baseball. It went 360 feet to the left field barrier, and I don't believe even Snaz Lombardi ever hit a ball farther than that and still wound up at first base. But Peanuts, Lowry turned in a piece of fast fielding on the ball, and that held Big Rudy there. But Baroy took charge again of Richards, Tobin, and Webb to keep the Tigers tied down and helpless. Now the Tigers used four pitchers, the last of them being Les Mueller, who did very well indeed, a fellow who wears glasses, but those Tiger pitchers didn't need any glasses to see the Cub batters today. The best ball player on the field for my money was Andy, Andy, Andy Pasco of California. He played beautiful ball in center field, and he got uh, three hits, as did Captain Phil Cavaretta of the Cubs, one of Phil's being a home run, of course, but this Pasco is a grand little ball player, and you're going to be seeing around the big leagues for a long time. Next to Baroy, I thought he was the star today, even allowing for the fact that Cavaretta got a home run and played great ball at first base. One of his plays beginning the third inning being as beautiful a piece of feeling as I've seen in a long time. After all, it wasn't a great ball game, and we're not going to try to tell you it was. From a Tiger standpoint, it lacked luster. The Cubs look great. They've got speed. You're going to have to watch out for that in this series. There are about five fellows on that Tiger team that are mighty slow getting around, including York and Mayo because of his injuries. And for one reason or another, the Cubs are going to outspeed these fellows if they don't look out. And that and pitching might be the tell on the series. Still, the Tigers keep fighting. They stayed up there in the American League. They got a great spirited leader in O'Neill. And I know we're going to see some Tiger victories before it's over. I think we will. And now fans make a date to be with us via radio tomorrow for the second game of the series, and we'll have more fun. Tuning time will be 1.15 Eastern Standard Time, the same as today. So until tomorrow, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, 
the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Al Helfer, Bill Slater, and your Uncle Bill Coral.